All right. Hello and welcome to the Conjecturing, a horrorish podcast. With me is Laura. Hello. And Greg. Hey, hello. And I'm your host, Rob. We also have a fourth uh, participant here. We have a cricket uh, that is in Greg's garage. Uh, me and Greg were talking. We think we're going to name it Tony. We're going to name it Tony for this episode. We're yes. Uh, so Tony is going to chirp in every once in a while. And uh, You hear that? Yeah, we hear it. We hear it. Oh, my God. Jeez, wow. He, <laughs> I do hear that. He's really going. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Nah. Proceed. No, nah, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. Tony, Tony's very active. It's all right. It's all right. Um, so how are you guys doing? How are you guys doing right now? We've had a little bit of issues uh, setting up right now with audio and internet and stuff uh, like that. So Doing good. Sticking to the quarantine, isolation, being very shining-like. Mm-hmm. It's good. Good. Right? Yeah. We have definitely. the internet, whereas in the shining they did not. So I feel very privileged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I definitely want to talk about how this was the I think I said this last week. This is the best movie. Not the best, but it's a great choice for our current situation right now. It is. Was that coincidence or how did that end? It ended up lining up pretty well. Well, it was on my list, and I think after last recording, we had to pick our new three. And it hit me like, oh my God, we got to do this one. Yeah, yeah. No, de- de- definitely watching this movie. Watching this movie uh, definitely made me have uh, not even flashbacks, but just like a sense of like, oh wow, this is this is kind of very similar to what's going on right now with everybody. So it was yeah, watching this movie. Yeah. So uh, let's get to everybody's favorite segment here. Let's get to it right now. What's in the cups? <laughs> All right, let's get what's in the cups. So Laura, what are you drinking tonight? All right, you ready for this? ready i've got a uh a really good red wine in my cup i actually forget what it's called right now Mm -hmm. but my surprise for you guys is my backup drink Uh i'm gonna be doing something a little different this time Mm -hmm. well first of all our listeners can't see this but can you see this oh that's cool Wow, so Laura, so, yeah, so Laura has a shot glass with the uh, Jack Nicholson from The Shining on it. Yeah. <laughs> Busting through the the iconic scene where he busts through the door. That is, where did you what get is, that? Um, Etsy. That's where I get everything, man. What uh, what drink? What drink is actually in there? So it's tequila. Ooh, it's silver tequila. I wasn't planning on taking a shot tonight, but I have <laughs> to use this. And, uh, mm-hmm. yep. So you guys get to watch. Sorry for mm-hmm. listeners who don't get to watch my face. It is real. It's not fake. It's definitely tequila. <laughs> and I didn't have any limes, so I will be chasing it with a lemon. Oh, wow. Nice. So here we go. Nice. There you go. go. Okay. Here she goes. Wow. There she goes. Shooting it. Okay. Lemons in the mouth. Okay. Wow. Awesome. That was uh, great. <laughs> that looked worse than when you had that sour belt a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. It was oh, a little hit, hit a little harder than that sour bump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, Woo. so, so, what are you what are you drinking, Greg? What do you got in there in, in your garage? I had to go. I got a special order. I had to be very thematic tonight. Brand new bottle of JD. Oh, Ooh. nice, nice. Yeah, you got to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Pour, pour, pour. 
<laughs> Greg just took like a big shot too of Jack Daniels. So yep, yep. And I, I'm doing I'm doing similar to you, Greg. Definitely. Uh, you know, you know. Shout out to the movie we're doing this week. I uh, definitely too have some some Jack Daniels in my nice, cup tonight. Job. You know, uh, just you know, just just straight Jack, two ice cubes, and I'm ready to go. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yep. All right. All right. So, do we got any follow up from previous uh, show? Previous show Ooh. we did Lost Boys. You guys have any other stuff to talk about Lost Boys? Nobody wants to ridicule me for giving it a five star rating. You know? No. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't give. I won't ridicule you on that. We talked about how horror movies are very personal experiences, you know, and I think that no one's going to give it the the same grade. I, We've already talked about how polarizing they are on, on Rotten Tomatoes. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, well done. I, ha- I don't have any updates, though. Yeah, no. nothing either. I don't either. I think I just think it's really interesting in a good way how that was, I think, collectively our highest rated movie so far. And it just so happens out of our entire list of movies that we've covered, it's the least scary. Yeah, I guess it so. Is. Yeah, think yeah. about it. It is. Yeah. That's true. I By guess. the way, <laughs> anytime there's a, anytime there's just a, a dead silence, thank you, Tony, because he's got the crickets covered. Yeah, <laughs> I, I needed a few seconds to process mm-hmm. that. I was like, "Is that true?" And I think mm-hmm. you're right. It is. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know why that is. I think maybe it's because uh, it allows you to enjoy it on a more entertaining level, so you're not yes. as scared. So I think I think most people are used to grading movies purely on when the credits start rolling. How entertained were you? Scale mm-hmm. of one to ten. Mm-hmm. So I think we're probably operating a little bit off of that bias, you know, and not yep. taking into account, you know, horror specific uh, qualities, you know, all yeah. the time. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Tony, uh, let's get to the reveal. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a reveal of the movie. You know, we talked about the end of last episode, what movie we're going to be doing. We are doing 1980s of The Shining this week. So we're doing 1980s The Shining. Uh, this was Laura's choice. So, Laura, why did you pick this movie? I talk a lot about nostalgia. For me, this movie is so far past nostalgia. It's just straight iconic for me and for many, many other people. I know that's a very popular opinion. Yeah, there's just so much I love about this movie. You know, the eerie music all throughout, the the camera angles, the creepy, unsettling imagery, uh, the in incredible performance of Jack Nicholson. I mean, fuck, so good. And just overall, I really enjoy that ride as we like quote unquote go through that journey into his madness and like how it unfolds. Nice. Oh, nice, nice, nice. How often do you, do you would you say do you watch this movie? I was thinking about it earlier today. I think I even texted you guys. Um I actually watched this movie just a couple hours ago. Um, I'm not normally as down to the wire usually when we have to watch something, but I wasn't worried about it because I probably have seen this 20 times. More than any other horror movie, would you say? No, I've seen Halloween the most for sure. Yeah, yeah, Maybe mm. Scream too. I've seen Scream uh, a lot. Mm. That's uh, interesting. That means to you, this movie has a lot of repeat, like rewatchability. Yes, yes. And I will say that I have read the book. Um, mm-hmm. but unlike most people who have read the book and seen the movie, I actually saw the movie first. I do have that, like, I know we'll get into this way later, all the differences, the book 
is yeah. is better. The book is always better, right? So I mean, that's that's fair to say. But I also think maybe there are a lot of people who read the book first, saw the movie, and then were like kind of disappointed in that regard. Whereas for me, I saw the movie first. So I love it. Can I ask Laura, when you added this to your list, was it, were you thinking that when we ended up reviewing it, that it would, you would uh, see it differently or you would think about it differently? Or is just, there were a lot of things that you'd like to talk about in this movie? Yeah, I, I enjoy uh, movies that were adaptations of, of novels. So I definitely wanted to talk about something like that at some point. And I just think this obviously is so iconic and, like one of the best ones to compare. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I, actually it's funny because I know I keep saying we're not picking the movies we love the most, but I also do feel like I've picked a handful of movies that I actually really love. And I just clearly yeah. just want to talk about movies that I like. And I haven't really picked a movie that I hated yet. Yeah. 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 Watching this movie, like I, I, I know at the end of last episode, we talked about this, we revealed this movie and then we each said if we saw it, and I, and I was like, yeah, you know, I've seen it before. But man, rewatching this, I definitely hadn't seen this in a very long time because yeah. I didn't I didn't remember the first two hours of this movie. I remember <laughs> the I remember the end. I remember most of the end when everything starts going crazy. I didn't remember any of the setup. Mm-hmm. So that that was pretty cool. Um, and it's almost like fifty percent setup. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that when we get to the movie. Yeah, we'll get into that. You know, but I definitely do want to go to Greg now and tell us. You know, Greg can get into like yes or no if he's seen this movie ah. because we had a little conversation you know at the funny? end of the episode. And you know, in I, episode, I distinctly remember <laughs> in our first episode me saying, "Oh, yeah, I've watched hundreds of horror movies." I, you know, honestly, I don't know if I've watched even a hundred. It may be a hundred. I, I don't really know if I can quantify it. Um, this one, I don't even think that I had fully seen the, the original Stanley Kubrick version, but I had seen the TV version. Oh. My, uh, <laughs> my family and I, we were out on some kind of trip and we were in an RV and it had like a little tape recorder deck and, you know, whatever, VHS deck. And we were watching it on the TV and it was like, the the TV version of this movie um, or this story, I think is it came after the movie, right? Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like I don't know something like three or four hours long, and I just remember thinking, you know, as maybe eleven or twelve years old, that oh my god, this is so boring. Yeah. There were very frightening uh, elements to it, but it I think it was um, it was very different from the movie that I saw a couple of days ago. I think I had wings and everything was um, a lot more drawn out. But um, yeah, I, I don't think I had from front to back seen this version of this movie. No, wow. unfortunately. As a, so as a horror movie fan, it's a quite a blemish on my on my record. But yeah, yeah, that, that's just <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that's just crazy. That one. Yeah, that's just crazy. It's like a horror fan. You've gone whatever 20 years of your life or something like that. In your mind thinking, yeah, I've seen The Shining. I've seen it. You know, yeah, I've seen it. And then now to being like the last couple of days being like, holy shit, like I'm going to watch this for the first time. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Really crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'm interested to hear what you think about it, seeing it. You saw it for the first time now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. So let's get to. Normally, we would do our um, horrorish segment of the week, and this week I do have a question, but the it pertains so much to this movie. I'd rather get into the movie and go through it a bit, and then bring in the question a little bit later because the question is something we probably could answer. I think at the end would be a little bit better than right now. So let's. Yeah. Uh, so let's just get to the movie. You know, let's uh, let's open up that bottle of Jack and get to the movie. Yeah. Then. You know, let's get to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're already all tree already all drinking it already. So, yeah. So, like like we say, we're doing the Shining, 1980. It's a rated R film. I didn't realize it was rated R until you know, make a lady scene. You know, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, well, you want it to be like rated G you got, or you got language, you got yeah. nudity, you well, got like, violence. Like I like I said, I didn't remember the first two hours of this movie. That's I didn't nice. remember all the setup. You know, when he started cussing in scenes, I was like, holy shit. Like, wow, I don't remember any of this stuff. Yeah, so like we said, this is what, a two two hours and 26 minute movie. Mm-hmm. The version we watched, the, this is called the US version, I guess, or the whatever they call it now. Yeah, Stanley Kubrick, uh, definitely like Laura said, it's based on the Stephen King book. Um, this movie had a budget of $19 million and it made $46 million. So it made its money back. But I think it's, I mean, it, it's grown over the years. You know, yep. I, I don't even know what. I don't even know at the time when it was released, if it was this great, you know, number one horror movie of all time thing. It wasn't. Yeah. And then now, you know, decades later, it, it's either some people consider it one or two, but definitely top three in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's see. So we got, like I say, we got Jack Nicholson in this morning, this morning. And <laughs> Jack, <laughs> Another shot of Jack. Another shot of Jack. <laughs> we got uh, we got Jack Nicholson in this movie as Jack Torrance. We got Shelley Duvall as Wendy. We got Danny uh, Lloyd as Dan. Oh my God, his name is Danny too. Wow, yeah, Jack and Danny. Wow. Yeah, I know. We got a uh, Scatman Carruthers as Dick, and then the rest of the people are just like you know secondary characters. Nobody else yeah. really know that well. But um, am I the only one who gets Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholas like mixed up all the time? I mean, their yeah, names are similar, are. but yeah, you are the only one. I have to almost pause before I even say the name to make sure I'm not referencing the golfer when I should be referencing the, the actor. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Rob. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, Laura, do you want to get in? Do you have any interesting facts about the movie? I have some, but I don't know what you got. Where do you, what do you, what do you got? Um, what interesting facts do I have? I think... A lot of people probably already know this, but um, there's a lot of articles out there just on where it was filmed. Um, it was, I mean, most of it was actually just uh, like an on-location set, uh, but a lot of the exterior and then some of also the interior scenes were filmed at two different hotels. The Stanley Hotel, which was mostly just all exterior, and that is in Estes Park, Colorado, which I've actually been to before. When I did my, the only time I've ever been to Colorado, I actually went there for this reason. Ooh, that's cool. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. Wow. Um, and then the other one, which actually had more footage from this resort, was the Timberline Lodge, which is in Mount Hood, Oregon. Oh, okay. So, okay, let's do the, let's do Laura's synopsis here. All right. We've got a family, mother, father, son. Um, and they have this really interesting opportunity to go to a a completely isolated hotel, which shuts down every winter and be the only people there. And they essentially get to stay there for free and eat the food and, you know, enjoy this beautiful hotel all to themselves. As long as they do a few, 
you know, caretaking while they're there and just make sure nothing crazy happens in those five months that um, the season is closed. And this hotel has a very sinister presence to it, which um, eventually leads to the father going crazy. But something really interesting about this movie is that the young son is also a psychic. So he can see things unfolding before they happen. That's pretty good, Laura. That's like the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's how you do a recap. You just open it up and then you stop Mm -hmm. talking. And then people are like, then what? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I I did find uh, interesting about the movie a little bit is the other actors who were up for the Jack Torrance role. Because after watching oh. this, I could I could not see anybody else doing this but Jack Nicholson. Yeah, he's not even the guy from Wings. No, <laughs> no, not even the guy from Wings, Greg. No, no, because there there would be scenes in this movie where where Jack Nicholson is just like moving his eyebrows, and it's just so creepy looking, and he's just so so weird looking in this movie, you know. Here's some of the other names. Let me know if you could see any of these other people portraying this character. So, uh, one was Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro was up for the role, yeah. which I could see. He's a great actor, yeah. but I don't know if he could do that. Another one was Harrison Ford. No. Which would be interesting. The last one, which would be crazy, was Robin Williams. Oh, man. Ooh. That, we just watched Birdcage, and he's such a dynamic actor. He's amazing. He, I think he could pull it off. That, I would, it it would have been really interesting to Robin Williams in this movie. He can pull off creepy little in a heartbeat. Yeah. 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 It was just three names that I thought, well, that'd be really interesting takes, but I don't think any of them mm-hmm. could be what what Jack Nicholson did in this movie. You mean they auditioned, but they just didn't get it or. I don't even, they don't really say like how far it went into the process. It was just other names that mm-hmm. were considered in the beginning. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So does anybody want to start anything on this movie? Um, you guys just want to go go into it you know i mean we've already i've jokingly thought in my head this is gonna be the longest episode we've we're gonna record because this movie is so long yeah yeah it's almost three hours isn't it right two and a half like two and a half hours yeah yeah it's pretty long yeah i mean it's my movie i'll start i'll go i mean okay go for it go for it i know i already kind of said why i picked it and that had a handful of reasons of why i really enjoy this movie i guess just off the bat i know a lot we often talk about like intro scenes love the music that this opens up to mm. love the imagery of like a, a car just driving through these this beautiful peaceful you know Colorado mountainside with the lake I mean I think that is just such a cool opening um oh god I just I don't think I could say enough how much I love Jack Nicholson in this I mean his acting from beginning to end I mean you've got a scene in the very beginning where they're already on their way moving into the hotel and they're in the car and they're having what seems like a very easy conversation between the three of them. And they somehow start talking about the Donner party (laughs) and uh, Jack Nicholson tells his son, like, yeah, they, um, they eventually had to eat each other and there was cannibalism within that, within the Donner party. And his son says, oh, I know what that is. I see it on the TV. And Jack Nicholson just looking at his wife a little bit and being like, see, honey, it's okay. He learned it from the television. All the way from that, like one of the first lines in the movie through the end where he is completely batshit crazy. And he's just smiling creepily at his wife and he's mimicking her as he slowly approaches her and he wants to kill her. I mean, just the entire performance is so... He pulls off sarcasm so well. Oh, the sarcasm. I mean, actually, 
it's really funny because if you see this movie and you don't read the book, it's safe to assume, like, does this guy even like his wife? Like, he seems to <laughs> fucking... Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Either. Yeah. So I, I don't want to get to the full list now, but I will say that in the book, this is very different. Um, mm. He, like, he is a very likable character in the beginning of the book. And it's a very long book. And so obviously that, that journey into his madness takes a lot longer. But when it starts to happen, you, you liked him from the beginning. You know, you formed a, like mm. kind of a relationship with him. Um, there wasn't any of this like, he just fucking hated her from the get-go. So, so that was a big difference. Um, and I think that Stephen King actually did not like that because really, truly from the beginning, Jack Nicholson is just such a dick to his wife yeah, and clearly yeah. looks crazy from the get-go but i still think that that acting from beginning to end is so amazing and i guess i'll just kind of get into my absolute favorite scene which is also i think like the most pivotal scene of this movie and that's the scene where he walks into the gold room which is the bar at the overlook hotel and it's actually the first ghost that he sees and has a conversation with. So now you as a viewer are like, okay, he's lost it. Like this scene, you know now, like he's gone over the, the deep end, right? And I just love that scene. I love Lloyd the bartender. I mean, oh God, <laughs> so good. I don't know. Because the idea is that when the, when the hotel residents leave, the owners leave and they, they leave the hotel for uh, Jack and his wife to to take over. They remove literally all of the alcohol um, so, uh, yes. supplies from the hotel. So then, in that scene, suddenly he walks up to the bar and it's all there. Mm-hmm. There's a bartender there, right? Yeah, yep. that was so interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I did want to talk about definitely in the beginning. Uh, you know, you have the first couple of uh, scenes where he's interviewing for the job a bit, and they're telling about the hotel, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, Shelley Duvall and Danny are back at the apartments. You know, and he's brushing his teeth. You see the first, uh, I guess, appearance of Tony. Mm-hmm. You know, so he starts talking to his finger and stuff like that. <laughs> but man, from the very beginning, I thought that the kid did a really good job as an actor. Very good. Oh yeah, yeah he yeah. killed it. You know, like, like I said, those opening scenes with the little kid, really, I was like, wow, he's like really doing a good job for a little yeah. kid. Wow, really, really cool. Really, Rob, cool. you know how much I hate, like not hate, but I have a, a sore spot for kid actors who overact or who overdo it, right? Visit, obviously, is one. Yeah, I know. Would, would you have been offended, Greg, if, if Danny started rapping? Would that be different? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In 1980, I don't know if he's doing like Run DMC, if it was appropriate for the movie, (laughs) I may have went with it. But yeah, this kid, he was on point from the beginning to end. He did such a good job. I love that, which I really appreciate. This was like, it made me think of um, The Sixth Sense when uh, Haley Joe Osment um, Mm. did his performance where you bought into it. This kid did like, was on par. I was just going to ask you, Laura. Is it the same in the book that he like talks to his finger and his finger like uh, is the Tony? Or? You know, actually, I don't remember the finger thing, but yes, he he does have psychic capabilities in the book. In fact, it's it's much more known. Like he talks about it. It's not something he hides from his parents. They know about it. It's um because one another very large difference between the book and the movie. That, you know, this might just be coming up organically here and there versus like me reading a list. Is um in the book, it's very much about Jack as it is about Danny, whereas mm. in the movie, it's about Jack. So that so I mean, they they definitely touch upon that that 
Danny has these psychic capabilities. And for him, you know, he's only five, I think. So it, it, it comes off as like, oh, I've got a little friend that talks to me in my mouth, even though that is still him, but he's kind of made it into an imaginary friend. <clears throat> they do touch upon that, obviously, quickly, and that it's called The Shining. Mm-hmm. But in the book, it's, you know, a lot more talked about. And then that's, and then in the sequel, Dr. Sleep, that's him growing up and continuing to have this thing called The Shining. Um, but I, I will say that creep factor in the movie, I agree. This kid was so good. And every time he talked as Tony, especially towards the end when it got kind of Oh, yeah, aggressive, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so scary. <laughs> it really yeah. creeped me out. That kid did a really good job. Um, I actually read in an article that this kid, well, so side note, my husband and I were watching it today and we were like, man, how do these young kids, like five years old, how do they perform so well a lot of times like this when they're making a movie? And it's like people are telling them what to do and what to say and they're just nailing it, yeah, right? They have no context, you know, yeah. to understand the direction of like what is going on in the scene. It's it's yeah. truly amazing. But I did read an article that the actor, you know, who's obviously growing up now, he was saying that at the time he had no idea it was a horror film that he was making. He was told it was a drama. Huh. And that he actually didn't even see the movie until he was a teenager. Dang, that's crazy. So I, I wonder if it's wow. that. I, I don't know. Hmm. Blows my mind. Wow. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I mean, she- Shelley Duvall does a really good job in this movie, too. She she holds it together. She's, yeah. of course, not as good as Jack and the kid. But, uh, you know, all around pretty good acting from everybody. Mm-hmm. Not compared mm-hmm. to some of our other, our other movies we reviewed. <laughs> so it's <laughs> good for them. I mean, one thing I wanted to talk about quickly is just kind of like the opening uh, when when they're showing the family around the mm. premise. And they just like uh, haphazardly mention like, oh, yeah, we think it was on an Indian burial ground. I know. And it's like, and the guy, you know what I mean? Like, it's not even important. Just like, oh, yeah. Just like, uh, you know, we found uh, some bones over there. Don't worry about it. And yeah. I, I, I was just like, holy shit. Like, how is that like not a big deal? And also you know? it never comes back. I mean, that's not. No. They don't say that that's the reason why this hotel is like got evil. Spirit. Yeah, that's part of so part of the premise of this movie is that um, I, for people who haven't seen it in a while or who haven't seen it at all is uh, the previous caretaker of the hotel. You know, one winter stayed with his family, similar to how Jack and his family are doing, and he went crazy from the isolation. And he was a very upstanding person, a citizen, a good worker, et cetera, et cetera. They screened him, but he went, he went nuts, you know, after being isolated for so long and he killed his family with an ax. So that was like, that was the lore of the, of the hotel. And they told Jack's character uh, leading up to it. And he was like, oh, okay, interesting. But, you know, you know, that's in the past, uh, that that should be okay. And so he takes on these duties. So that's kind of like the plot of the movie is that, the hotel is sort of haunted by these by the by these ghosts and, and the past violent horrors that have happened yeah because at uh, one point you know the like i said the 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 owner of the hotel whatever tells jack these things because he wants to be honest with him and then i'm pretty sure jack is supposed to tell the mom but he never tells her right no he does. i don't think he does no right okay yeah he doesn't tell no. her right yeah, yeah, because I was like, what a dick, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's such a dick to her, which normally I wouldn't love, but I just, it's so funny. Oh, my God. Laura, I want to jump on, the on, on when you, you, you mentioned the music, from the beginning to the end, you are on edge. You have these, you have these just, you know, honestly, like a lot of the movies, nothing is really happening, but the, the music is playing in the background. You hear these piano keys going up 
going down. You hear the strings playing really odd chords. You feel unnerved. There's like synth yeah. uh, sounds happening. You, sometimes you hear heartbeats. Mm-hmm. And even in the beginning of the movie, you were talking about, right, you had this beautiful shot of the mountains and, and you see Jack driving on the, this two-lane roadway in the middle of the mountains going to the hotel on the top of Nowhere Mountain, right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful scenery. But while that's happening, you hear the most eerie music. Mm-hmm. You've got these like low horn, dun, 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 dun. Oh, that was good. That was good. You're like, this is really yeah. creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm looking at like the most pristine, beautiful environment, mm-hmm. and yet I'm, I'm, I feel so on edge at the beginning of the movie. And the whole movie plays out that way in just very benign scenes. Nothing is happening, yep. but then they'll hit you with the dunk or yep. you know, when he rips the paper off. And it's just the sound and the music. That was probably my favorite thing of this, of this movie was um, just how they played with sounds and, and music. Yeah, I, I wrote down in my notes that the, the sound in this movie is a character to itself. Yes. It, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a secondary character, really, for this mm-hmm. movie. It carries so many things. Yeah, I really carry it. Greg, that that really resonated with Greg. He just looked like he saw Jesus. He was like, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Without the music, I I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's the same movie. No. Because you would just see a lot of very normal scenes and you really wouldn't feel the tension. Yeah, it is such a great job with that. Yeah, and and yeah. same as if they didn't sprinkle, uh, sprinkle in those really like jarring, unsettling scenes, like all of a sudden out of nowhere, before you understand what it means, you see like the elevator blood scene. Like that happens really early mm-hmm. on. The kid has like a premonition and sees that. And I'll admit, I mean, this movie is very long and it can feel pretty slow. And I bet that's probably a, a common complaint to some people who don't enjoy this movie. But if it weren't for the music and those very just creepy scenes i'd probably feel like the beginning is just too slow really i mean they're setting up for a very long time but with those Mm -hmm. elements it does not bother me yeah let's uh let's get to the actual like hotel stuff now when we're in the hotel more definitely watching this movie it reminds me that i have a thing where i don't like really long hallways like every time every time (laughs) i every time i go to a hotel and I'm standing and you can look all the way down like a really long hallway, you know, with all the doors. It just, mm-hmm. I feel like the, you know, you get like the little like, you know, hairs in the back of your neck stand up every time it gets to me. And I, and I always like feel like I'm going to like blink. And then when I open my eyes, something's going to be running at me. I don't know why. I just, I hate really long hallways. So like seeing this movie reminded me of like, oh shit, I hate those scenes. It's yeah, yeah. interesting too, because I actually did read quite a bit that you know, what, what makes that isolation and that, that cabin fever kind of caught be partially to blame for Jack going crazy. It's definitely not the only reason the the ghosts and like the sinister hotel causes that really. But a lot of it is due to being claustrophobic. Like I kept reading the word Mm -hmm. like claustrophobia, you know, that, Mm. you know, made him go crazy, which is super ironic because this hotel is massive. I mean, it's like, it's huge. It's bigger than a mansion. You know, it's massive. Yeah. Yet I can totally see how, especially in like those long hallways, even in hotels, which are massive, they're very narrow. And it just kind of causes that claustrophobia. 
I think with the, 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 the colors and the, and the patterns of the wallpapers make you feel more confined too. Like the patterns of the, of the carpet and the yes. tapestry and the walls, they have these like, you know, it's very like 70s, it's like oranges and browns and yellows and they're, they have these weird patterns. The carpet looks, it looks very gaudy and it just, it, it all makes you feel very closed in. I think it wasn't until like the last 10, 20 years when they started changing you know the colors and, and how hotels look to make it look more expansive but back then that was the style but it makes you feel stifled yeah mm-hmm. anytime i looked at it was a big hotel and you had a lot of various furnishings but anytime you entered a hallway you felt very confined and mm-hmm. it was very creepy which is amazing because the point of view for most of the hallway scenes was this five-year-old boy on his little bike and the oh, point man. of view is just him yet it's still feels very, you know, like claustrophobic and narrow. Mm-hmm. The way that they shot that was just so beautiful to me. And I, it was very effective. Very yeah. effective. And also, did you notice that any time he turned a corner, you just don't feel safe. You don't yes. know. And you know what? Nothing, I think, I don't think there was any ever anything that just popped up around a corner. That just didn't happen. But every time he turned a corner, it was like there was no... Oh my God! There's just like no notice to anything, and you just assume the worst. And I don't know what's gonna pop around that corner. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you guys think of the the Dick uh, Hollering character, the the cook, the chef, whatever you want to call him? He was okay. So the, there's a, like nothing. You're like oh, whatever. He, he's the head chef. He's he's kind of maybe in his fifties. He's the head chef for the whole hotel. He has also what is called the Shining, which is essentially telepathy. Mm-hmm. P- P.S. What do you call it? P.S. E-S- E-S-P. E-S-P. He notices that the kid also has the Shining. So he, he and the kid have a kind of a, a mental conversation, and then he talks about, "Oh, you have the power too. You can do the Shining." Um, I thought he was an interesting character. I liked how he talked to Danny, the little boy, and kind of comforted him. And, you know, you shouldn't be shy about this power. This is something that few people can do. But, you know, at the same time, this hotel has some dark and, you know, dangerous, has a dark and dangerous past. So be careful of certain aspects about it. And then, of course, he's forced to leave along with everybody else in the hotel. So he's really far away, as is everybody else. But, you know, there are certain scenes where when Jack... Nicholson, Jack's character, <laughs> starts to descend into madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, uh, Dick's character, from afar, he kind of feels like there's something wrong. So he, he keeps trying to call and check up on the, on the hotel. So I yeah. thought he was an interesting character. I mean, um, mm-hmm. what yeah. do you guys think? I, I really liked the scene where it's him and the kid and they're talking. Because that, that really reveals most of the movie, like what you want to know. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on. Is that is that scene in the book, Laura? Is that a book yeah, scene? Yeah, so he is also a big character in the book. And actually, okay. um, I guess I'll just say it. But in the movie, he unfortunately does not make it. In the book, he does. Oh, so, really? Hmm. Yeah, that's another. I did think it was weird. Like when he was, when that character was in his hotel, in his room or in his house, you know, away from the hotel, just watching TV, right before he senses that there's something going on, you get a weird shot above his bed and above his TV. You have these like <laughs> the pictures. naked Nubian queens just kind of like painted, like oil paintings above his bed and TV. I don't know if I understood that. Like, I was like, what? 
I mean, he's definitely single. I don't know that you can yeah. be married and have <laughs> naked women on your walls. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't know what to make of that. I know, that <laughs> yeah, seems... But although, he, overall, his character was, uh, was really cool. Obviously, at, at some point, he spends a lot of... He's probably get like 20 minutes of him trying to dictate the logistics of back to the hotel and saving the family he calls his friend to organize like a snowmobile he gets on a flight to get to colorado we spent 20 minutes getting following him getting back to the hotel and when he finally gets back to the hotel to try to save the wife and kids like within five minutes like jack axes him to death and i thought man we just spent 20 minutes watching him do all this and then he's dead so fast i thought that yeah. was interesting well how does he how but of course he, he left the he left the snowcat well, how um, and, and we'll say I'll say right now spoilers for the book. If anybody hasn't read the book and they want to read the book, then try to somewhat not listen to half this episode. <laughs> but uh, oh. but but I'm gonna I want to ask Laura some questions of like how how does he live in the book? How does he not die? So in the ending of the book, the the mother and the son, you know, make it out as they do in the movie. But he does make it out as well. So it's pretty similar in that he does come to help them save them. And it's not that he necessarily saves them, actually, but he he just is able to escape in the end with them as well. So that's kind of the oh, big difference okay. there. Um, yeah, I mean, he is a big part of the book, and I remember, I you know what it is? It's it's like I I know he's important. Um, he explains The Shining to us in that scene yeah. and explains it to Danny, who's really never talked to anyone about it. I mean, all his mom knows is that he has an imaginary friend. She doesn't think anything of it. He's never spoken to anyone about this. And then to have this man not only communicate to him in his mind, but then explain to him this power he has. So I know that that was important. And, um, you know, and then obviously he comes and attempts to save them, which is great. But what really bugs me is that this man clearly knows what's going down in this hotel he knows there are spirits he knows there was a gruesome murder i'm sorry like he could have easily predicted this was going to happen but he just kind of goes on his merry way to florida and has to wait for danny to communicate with him Mm -hmm. colorado to florida and explain to him that things are going down but i mean they even have a conversation in the beginning where he's like oh okay he understands quickly that danny uses tony his imaginary friend as like a way to cover up him just being psychic and being able to see the future and see the past as well and he's like oh has tony ever told you anything bad about this hotel and i mean obviously this kid actor is amazing and and the way he looks it's very clear that he does have you know, a sense of this hotel is evil. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. But so I don't know, like Dick is supposed to be this amazing character, but yet he fucking, I don't know. <laughs> he had, he had a goal. That's a tough call. I don't know yeah. if he if he knows for sure what happens because, right, the, the gruesome murders that were supposedly several decades ago, right? So what have they been doing every year annually since then? They've been hiring a random caretaker. And since then, that random caretaker has done a fine job. No murder since, right? So what would make Jack Nicholson's character any different? He doesn't know if he's susceptible. So I think that's part of one of the themes in the movie is that Jack Nicholson's character is he is a he's a writer and he's a former school teacher. And he's trying to make ends meet. His, his wife is a, is a housewife. She takes care of the home. She takes care of the kid. But the only source of income is from him. And he, you know, the thing is, is he's a husband, a father, a writer, a former teacher. But 
he's really not good at any of these things, unfortunately. <laughs> not, so he's under a lot of economic stress, yeah. a lot of um, he, a lot of anxiety. So I think it's it's he's susceptible, especially he's also a, an alcoholic. We find out early in the movie, he's susceptible to aggression and lashing out uncontrollably. But in these few moments that Jack's family visits the hotel for the first time, I don't think that Dick really knows that. You know, he leaves the family and he leaves the hotel like every other staff member thinking, okay, well, another caretaker is taking over the hotel for the winter. But I give him credit knowing that he still keeps like a psychic eye on the situation. Yeah. I, I guess right? I just you feel know, like he's psychic, so... All those things you just explained about Jack's character, he should have gotten a sense of some of that. And then probably, yeah, he's psychic and Danny has had some very disturbing premonitions. I mean, he already saw the blood in the elevator scene happen early on. That was his premonition of that happening in the hotel. And so you think that especially if they were so in tune with each other and able to communicate telepathically that he would have just sensed like, huh, I don't know. There's something, something's, something. Yeah, that's true. Just by the fact that Danny has this imaginary friend, like, I don't really, I, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know why kids develop imaginary friends, but I would guess that one of the reasons is because, you know, you use it. I mean, I, I can't really explain. I'm not a professional, yeah. but the fact that he has that, maybe that should have, that should have raised a red flag. Like, Oh, maybe there's something going on with this family. Yeah. Honestly, that, that, um, I thought about that too originally. I mm-hmm. thought, man, the fact that he didn't take more precautions to find out who exactly he's leaving this hotel in the hands of um, was kind of concerning. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I, I thought he just wanted to get home to his naked pictures. So that's all I cared about. <laughs> he probably did. He did. Like, I yeah. work hard. I just want to go to Florida and yeah. enjoy these next few months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's all I cared about, you know? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I read something about in one of the uh, in one of the original, I guess, uh, screenplays that they wrote for the movie with Kubrick. He wrote, I guess that I guess that Jack Nicholson died towards the end, and then the caretaker gets taken over by the spirit, and then that's who is the one that runs around the maze at the end is him. But then they end up changing it later on because they said like, why are we killing Jack Nicholson with, like forty minutes ago in the movie? Yeah, that was one of the very first drafts. Yeah, it's one, setup, one yeah. of the very first drafts of the movie, and I was like, "Oh, wow, that's interesting." It would make sense why they wanted to bring the caretaker back because mm-hmm. once, he, once, he, like you, Greg said, once he gets there, he's just like, "Oh, you're gonna die." Well, I, in the book, I guess it's different. He does live, but yeah, to me, like you said, Laura, to me, the only reason he's really in this movie is just to explain to Danny and the viewers of what's going on. Yeah, that's really the only reason he's here is for that. Right. You know. Yeah, that's true. And actually, just real quick, side note, something that you said, Greg, that made me think of this. It's funny how you were saying how Wendy is like the caretaker and raises the son and takes care of the home and Jack Nicholson doesn't do any of that. Yet he's hired. He gets the space to write and, you know, have this (laughs) Mm -hmm. isolated hotel all to himself. And he agrees to do some maintenance work. And, you know, she's doing it all right. Isn't she she's doing, doing it she's all doing because it. he's fucking lost it and she's just handling it like a boss, man. I saw that. There's that one scene where she's going around checking like valves yes. and, and lights and the big boiler room. Yeah. And I was like, is she doing all the work? She did it before, all. Before that, I just assumed that Jack was doing it and writing. But until they show her doing it, I'm like, he's not doing shit. Dude, Jack is sleeping until noon and then waking up and throwing a tennis ball against a wall for fucking hours. Yeah, that's true. I'd love to pivot to Wendy and kind of hear a little bit more about how you guys feel about her. Um, You know, she's very, like, submissive. 
and mm-hmm. meek. And I, I know that this is fucked up, but she's she's pretty stupid, honestly. I mean, she <laughs> she has scenes where she acts really dumb. And I mean, I felt this way before I did any digging. And sure enough, Stephen King actually was pretty pissed because that is not the character from the book. She oh, is really? not stupid in the book. She is independent. She doesn't need jack shit. And hmm. she's very cool under pressure in the book as well. Whereas really? in this movie, it's, it, is, it is really hard for me to watch her. I mean, don't get me wrong. Shelley Duvall, the acting is good, but it's very hard for me to see this character unfold because, I mean, sure, she, she gets the upper hand a few times. Like she's able to knock him unconscious and lock him into a, you know, a storage unit. But when she's just like, freaking the fuck out and swinging the bat and looking all crazy you just kind of look at her and you're like how on earth are you going to beat this guy he's crazy and she is just like you've already seen her take verbal abuse from him so bad that i'm here sitting here thinking he's probably physically abused her like you know if oh yeah if i were watching something like at the news and I was seeing the story, I'd be thinking, oh, well, she was definitely physically abused too. I mean, the verbal mm-hmm. abuse is insane. And she's just like, oh, okay, sure, honey. And, oh, it's just so hard for me to watch. Yeah. Ugh. I think the first time they actually really show that, the first time where it's really revealed is when he's riding and she comes in and yeah. whatever she, whatever she's like bringing up a sandwich or something like that. And he's just like, that, that's, that's when he starts like cussing at her. And if you hear this tapping, just assume I'm working and don't come in here, you know? And I was, that's when I'm just like, what a fucking asshole. Yeah. We, but we, she's we, like, oh, okay, honey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they should have. They they should have. They should have cast Sigourney Weaver and then made her the real <laughs> chick oh, fuck, in the that, book. Nope. You know, and then make her be the real chick in the book and be like, "Fuck you, Jack, you fucking asshole." Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but I was gonna ask Laura, like, if he's supposed to, is do they talk more about his writing in the book? Is he a good yes. writer? Or is he doing this for so fun? So glad you asked. Uh, because I like to say I'm a writer, but it doesn't mean shit. <laughs> yeah, they don't make it seem like he's a good writer at all in this movie. They well, make it seem like. He's just failed at everything. He's got writer's block the entire movie. He never mm-hmm. is, does, is unblocked. And w- another huge difference from the book is that he does have writer's block in the beginning when they're at the hotel. But then he ends up doing some digging and finding like clippings of news articles and kind of learning more about the hotel. And then he gets an idea, like, I'm going to write about this hotel. And he gets super inspired and, like, energetic. And, you know, I've only read the book once, and it was years ago, so I don't remember. But I I almost feel like that could be why the hotel kind of hones in on him and is like, we're fucking taking this guy. You know, because he he decides Mm. to write about the hotel, and he just becomes too connected to it. So yeah, I mean that that was obviously a huge difference. Which, and I think that was really cool. I kind of wish that that was in the movie, to be honest. But yeah, but I, I, I'm sorry. I, I was asking more about. Do they talk about in the book? Has he actually published other writings? Oh no. no, 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 no. Like this a good is writer. Passion, and he's trying to. Oh, write this book. Yeah. fuck this. He's asshole. so bold. He's so bold for not being an accomplished writer, right, Rob? 
Yeah, that's what I was saying. I thought that's oh, what I, I was did trying not to get, get that. That's what you're saying. That's, that's what I was trying to think. Like, like if he was like a legit writer and just he had to stop writing because he wanted, he you know, he needed to make you know steady money being a teacher. But he had like books out there, and he was something. Then I'm like, okay, it kind of makes sense why you want to settle down for five months and get back to what you're good at. But I'm like, if he's just shit, if he's not a good writer, like I, I say, I'm a writer. Doesn't mean shit though. I'm not going to tell my wife, hey, I'm going to stop, quit my job, and we're going to sit here for five months. <laughs> and I'm just gonna write fucking something, but I have nothing to base that on because, like, I'm not—I have never done anything. That's yeah. what I wasn't sure of. You know? Rob, on day one, she goes, "Let's take a walk outside." We take me for a walk. She's being so kind and yeah. loving, and it's like, okay, day one, let's let's look at the premises. Let let's look at the premise of this of this uh, hotel. Let's enjoy the scenery. Take me for a walk. You know, just doing a great thing for the two of them as a couple and the first thing he says is uh you know what i should i should probably start thinking about writing yeah. i mean are you serious bro you've got six or seven months to start writing you can't take a walk with your wife around this beautiful hotel yeah i mean you're not yeah. stephen king exactly yeah. you know that was so interesting. <laughs> uh, well, yeah and actually it's <laughs> it's really funny i think that might be why he gets so defensive uh, when she's like, oh, okay, you know, he's being so rude to her in that one scene where he snaps at her in the like mm-hmm. first official snap at her when he's trying to work, work. When she, um, she broke his concentration. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she breaks his concentration. Mm-hmm. And I, and then she kind of is like, she's, she thinks she's being cheerful and like trying to get over that part of the conversation and turn it back into like a easier you know, lighter conversation. And she's like, okay, well, I'll come back later and bring you some sandwiches. And maybe you can show me something that you've written. And I feel like he really, that comment gets under his skin because if he's not an accomplished writer and he is full of shit, he's probably very defensive about him. And then the fact that she's like, maybe you'll show me something. He probably sees like, I don't know, her belittling him a little bit. Uh, and he just mm-hmm. fucking snaps at her. Oh, it's so rough. Yeah, absolutely. There's the scene earlier that 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 ties into that scene too, where there she's bringing him breakfast, and she says something like, "Oh, well, all you have to do is just keep writing, and it'll come to you." And he kind of goes, "Oh yeah, that's all it is," and he starts chomping mm-hmm. on his bacon. That's the same thing. He's he's not very good at it, so he's very defensive about yeah. bringing her in. Which was, oh my god, that was just like so. That scene where he that he snapped at her, I thought was, I really wasn't super into Jack's character up until that point where I thought, okay, now I get it. And I thought he turned it on and he did a really good job in that. Yeah. I, I love the, the scene actually where she does accuse him of like beating Danny when really Danny got like the bruises from being in room uh, 237, which actually we should talk about soon. Uh, we haven't even gotten there yet. But um, I love it when she does accuse him of putting hands on Danny. She does stand up for herself. Jack Nicholson is just sitting back in his chair, like looking so fucking stunned and like high. I mean, he just is sitting there with his eyebrows up, just like, ooh. I don't know. <laughs> that scene cracks me up. I mean, he's <laughs> Because he doesn't, I don't know if he, if he remembers what happened. That's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get into like the 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 ghosts in this movie in oh, room yeah. two three seven, and let's get into that whole subject. I, I've actually never seen this confirmed, but it's basically implied, and I've seen this across the internet that the 
young woman in the bathtub of room 237 who later you know jack sees her and is like oh and then they start kissing and then she <laughs> uh, yeah. to an old mm-hmm. rotting woman that mm-hmm. is actually the wife of grady oh huh. that's interesting yeah i wasn't sure about that i didn't think about that until you said it down i'm like oh, okay that makes sense it's all in the same room it's all room 27 that's where it all happened yeah. you know that scene yeah, was know. nuts <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was I was confused too of like at that point because to be honest with you, the way I watched this movie and when he first sees the guy at the bar and it's just them two, I thought that was just his imagination in the beginning. I really didn't take that as a ghost when I first saw this, and because then when he sees the old woman, isn't I? Danny's like in the room, like doing his like little seizure thing where he's like drooling. And so I thought in that scene that Danny was making it so he could see the ghost. That's what I thought. Like he was conjuring it. Yeah. Like he was like help allowing Jack, allowing his dad to see what he sees. I mean, that's definitely a fair theory, but I, I mean, Wendy does see all the ghosts at the end as well. And she's saying, doesn't believe any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and that just mm-hmm. proves that the, it is the hotel that's very sinister, mm-hmm. filled with ghosts. And I think the ghosts make themselves apparent at the end to yeah. even mm-hmm. Wendy. I mean, obviously Danny can see them because he has this capability throughout the movie. And then as Jack Nicholson's character, Jack, it's crazy. He's seeing them more and more too, but they feel like they've won at the end. Like, oh, he's ours. He's going to do our, you know, the killing and the dirty work for us. So then it just all comes out. And like, even Wendy sees like, holy shit, mm-hmm. this place is evil. Yeah. Cause I just didn't understand too. Like when Jack comes back, you know, he's like, did you see anything? And he's like, no. Yeah. And I was like, why, how do you, why are you not saying anything? Is it because you made out with a woman and you feel guilty? I don't understand how well, you're not like, it's, like, it's almost like I had my theories about that. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't remember which scene came first. Even if it came after, I think the scene where he's talking to Grady in the bathroom really shows you that it, Grady's like implying, like it later gets said out loud, but Grady's implying from the get-go, like you need to take care of this. Yeah, yeah. and you mm-hmm. could just see Jack Nicholson's like, oh yeah, done. You know, he's already like made that decision. So if he's seeing shit, he's no, he's already evil. He's already lost it. You know, he's not going to say that to his wife. Yeah, because even in the bathroom scene, they start setting up the uh, the end photo, whatever you want to call it at the very end. Yeah. Where Grady, Grady has the comment of like, no, you've been the caretaker this whole time, not yeah. me, to Jack Nicholson. And I was just like, wow, that's interesting. You know, mm-hmm. we have to, we'll get into it a little bit later, the ending, because I need help explaining what the fuck is going on. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I need I need to I need to get Laura I need I need to get Laura's take from somebody who's watched this a million times and somebody who's read the book to be like help break this down for me because I'm kind of confused but uh, it, is, it is confusing yeah it is yeah I mean as far as other ghosts there's just the two twin the two girls right there's the two girls um what other ghosts are there obviously when he goes into the bar the second time because he's even further deep into this the bar is no longer just him and the bartender lloyd it's him and the bartender and like a whole ballroom of people right well see that's that's another scene where i was confused about are all those people dead too yeah like why so those are people that just happen to die in general and they're at the hotel or they died at the hotel this is just the hotel reeling him in more and more and more you know i just i just didn't know if all those people like uh you know there was some massacre there that never they never no. talked about you know what i mean or something like that oh, okay 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 
Oh, let's not let's also not forget about the best ghost in the movie, the furry, the furry giving head to that guy in the room. Oh my god! So I'm, I was hoping you got. I knew you guys would catch this, but believe it or not, a lot of people don't. It's like something that happens so quick, and there's no explanation of it, so people forget about that scene. That's my favorite. I, scene. I don't know how you can forget about that. That mm-hmm. is actually one of the only like film Easter eggs to the book. That is just thrown oh. in and never explained, and you only. Oh, it, it is in the book. Is it? Is it something bigger in the book? All, all it is is that the like older guy who ran the hotel, like before this newer guy, he was having like a secret, you know, like homosexual relationship with this man bear? who did dress up in like fuzzy outfits. <laughs> it was like a full on subplot of the book. <laughs> Oh my god, that's fucking hilarious! Right, so th- there, there's the moment where where Shelley Duvall's character, she's the, you know, Jack Nicholson's already gone crazy. He's set out to kill his family mm-hmm. because he thinks they're the cause of all of his pain and all of his suffering, and they're getting in the way of his work. And the way that the only way that he can succeed is if he just offs his family. Yeah. So he's trying to kill them, and while she's running away, she runs up the stairs and glances down the hallway at an open door <laughs> in a hotel room, mm-hmm. and in it you have. A guy dressed like in a bear suit with like teeth, and he had his ass is like open. He has like a little butt flap, yeah, a little butt flap open. Yeah. The butt flap, so it's obviously very sexual. He's mm-hmm. like performing fellatio on this guy. I think the guy is like the old hotel owner yes. because yeah. he comes up and like looks like you don't really get the you don't see the details of it, but you see it from far away. Yeah. And it happens in a matter of like seven seconds. Yeah. And it's just enough to be <laughs> off putting. Like, why was that in here? Yeah. And Honestly, it reminded me of like in People Under the Stairs, the the gimp suit scenes where yeah. you you don't know how to process it, and it's just weird enough for you to think it's creepy. It was definitely like a very small subplot in the book, and I I love that it was thrown in there, and I wish I can remember what I thought the first time I saw this movie before I read the book because I'm sure I was like, what the fuck, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's get into now. Um... I guess the the reveal of the uh, of his writings of his work he's been working on for for five months there you know while he's not like just being a dick I guess the the reveal of what all the pages say yeah, supposedly he's been writing his book for so many months and he's been asking her to stay out so that he can concentrate right Rob yeah and then uh, Shelley Duvall goes in there she's trying to look for him. And uh, she sees his manuscript sitting there and she starts looking at the pages and all they say is, uh, what is it they say? What does it say, Laura? All work and no play and make Jack a dull boy. Yeah. Make Jack a dull boy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Um, but I, fa- I actually found something which was really cool was that for all the different international versions of Kubrick's uh, movies, for every different language he put this in, they all say different things. Whoa. Yeah, so I'll I'll read them off to you guys because I found them really interesting. So definitely the English version says all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Um, For for the German version, it says never put off till tomorrow what you may be done today. Oh, that's what he was writing for for German version, which is almost kind of like you mean killing. Maybe could be, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, in in Italian, it says uh, the morning has gold in its mouth. <laughs> what the fuck? 
I don't even know. I think that's another way of saying the the early bird gets the worm. <laughs> like start things right away, and right. you'll you'll be ahead of everybody. Yeah. It's yeah. it so far, Rob. Out of the two or three quotes that you've described, it has to do with productivity and like seizing the moment. Otherwise, you'll you'll fall behind. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. And cool, then uh, cool. okay. So next one we got French. So French. French says. Uh, uh, French says, one here you go is worth more than two you'll have it. I'm and sorry, what? <laughs> it, says, it says, one here you go is worth more than two you'll have it. And I, oh, that's, I oh. think, like the two birds in your hand Dang, is better than yeah. one in the bush or something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. And then we got uh last one here is in Spanish. In Spanish, it says, uh, no matter how early you get up, you can't make the sunrise any sooner. Mm, mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. Reading these, like, I feel like all the ones in different languages kind of have the same theme, but I feel like the English one, which is just all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is completely different. Yeah. It focuses all on the isolation part. Yeah. It's completely different than the other translations. It's, I thought it was really weird. I thought, you know, they would just translate the English into their language and kind of be roughly the same thing, but there's all the different languages are completely different. It's, it kind of makes sense. I mean, a lot of European countries and like cities, you know, if you visited any of them, uh, things are very, are, are like tighter, smaller, right? Like your hotel room is like a bed and like a toilet shower combo right? Like, I feel like maybe they're not as claustrophobic as we are. And potentially maybe being isolated is not a big deal to Europeans. So maybe in the remakes, they had to do that. And and it was purely just, it's a haunted hotel, it made him go mad versus Mm -hmm. like, well, it is a haunted hotel. But also was it kind of the isolation slash cabin fever aspect? Maybe that's just something that like Americans have. And that's really interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I just think it's like this movie is it's tough because there's so many different angles to it. It could be the isolation. It could be the cabin fever. It could also just be the hotel. It could also be the fact that he used to be an alcoholic and maybe he was just prone to violence. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it, but I almost wonder if maybe if this hotel has been haunted since 1907, you know, when it was um, first built, um, maybe to explain any like violence and murders that have happened, they do blame it on being isolated. You know, the guy in the beginning is like, some people can't handle it. No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, do you guys want to get into uh, more of a, uh, you know, Jack's insanity, I guess, and kind of get into the, start getting into the end here mm-hmm. of just, you know, what he, what he does and his actions and yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know who wants to start off with all that funness. Wait, wait, can I just, I, I, one thing I want to say on that is what kicks off him delving into insanity. It's that scene where he feels like his wife is interrupting his work. And then from there, he just, he, he goes crazy. He realizes that he's not really getting anything done. He has a lot of, a lot of pressure on him and he is liking his wife and kid a lot, lot less. And having known the history of the hotel where there was a previous caretaker who killed his family, I think that weighs on his mind and he wonders, would he possibly suffer the same fate? So, you know, the fact that we find out that he's really not writing anything. He's really just, he's got so much writer's block that he, out of so many months of him being there, he really has nothing to show for it. He just continues to, to go deeper and deeper into, you know, 
this he has such a negative opinion of him. He's really not a good husband. He's not taking care of his wife, not you know being nice to her. He's not a good professional. He's not a teacher. The only thing that he's there to do is write, and he's not even able to do that. And he's not really taking care of the grounds either. Uh, not at all. Doing that. Yeah. And he's not really good at that. He doesn't go out and play with this kid. So he's really, unfortunately, I mean, I'm not trying to judge him, but the fact of the matter is that he's failing on all these um, different branches of his responsibility. So he feels the, the weight of this, and he just um, doesn't know what to do about it. Yeah. And, and you know, I guess the, the ghosts of the of the the house convince him that his wife and kids were the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it weren't for that, he'd be able to concentrate. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what they, what he needs to do is get rid of him. Yeah. So that's what that's what kicks off like him going in this downhill approach. Um and then he goes then he realizes, Oh my god, like you're right. I need to I need to kill them and that you know, and if I do that, then I can finally have the concentration and have the time to do what I want. And he's really just descended in madness mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And to go into even deeper of what you're saying and something that you brought up earlier, not only has he failed at all of these things, which makes him super vulnerable, but then when the ghosts are talking to him, they're basically telling him like, you still have to protect the hotel. And that all of a sudden becomes his job. That all of a sudden yeah. becomes his like, that's my work. And, you know, Grady tells him, your son's trying to invite someone else in. And he's like, mm-hmm. okay. And that just, that's what he becomes obsessed with. So it's almost like it starts off with him being like, man, they're, you know, they're the cause of my writer's block. And, and then now my wife is saying that I touched my kid. I never touched him. I mean, I might've touched him one time. It was an accident, yeah. but I've never touched him. <laughs> and then it mm-hmm. becomes yeah. like, he's obsessed with, oh, well. I was hired to take care of this hotel and no one else can come in. And yeah, that becomes the only thing that he can actually control and have success at is protecting the hotel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, pretty much, I mean, the other thing I want to talk about is like when she puts him in the freezer, you know, when she locks him in the freezer, mm-hmm. you know, after she hits him in the head with the bat and he falls down the stairs, yeah. you know, um, I was confused. So the ghost lit him out of the freezer. Yes. And I think that seems important because I bet a lot of people are like, is this in his imagination? Is this in Danny's imagination? And that scene is to show you, no, a ghost fucking let him out. The hotel hmm. is, has ghosts and is haunted. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, I was, now that I was confused in that scene, I was just like, oh, okay. I wanted to ask Laura, you know, book perspective, this and that. I'm like, that's yeah. what happened. You know, making sure like that scenes in the book and this and that. Yeah. One of my, I, I think when I just review my list of pet peeves, I think we've covered everything except for the fact that I don't know if I liked how this movie is so ambiguous about things. Yeah. They don't really, I mean, like typically I've read a lot of Stephen King books and a lot of times I'm like, I don't, I have so many more questions yeah. than I have answers, but, <laughs> which I understand like that's par for the course for this movie it, because this is his, this is his writing t- technically speaking, but I've never been a fan of that. I want to even balance, you know, I want to be able to think more about the movie, but like not think too much about it after where I go like you know you've offloaded a lot of the the thinking to me you should have given me more and I thought that was one of them you know um about none of the characters are very reliable in terms of you know establishing as a viewer establishing what is real and what is not 
you're trying to like go back and forth and decide, well, who's my source that I should go by? Is it Jack? Should I take his accounts? Well, clearly not. Crazy. You know? yeah. he, he, he fabricates bartenders who suddenly have a stock of a full you know, top shelf bar you know, in a matter of seconds. He's, they're not there. Okay, he's not reliable. Then the kid, he has the shining, maybe the white, you know, honestly, like I, I don't really know. And that's okay. I love a movie with mystery, but that one of my pet peeves with this movie was it was a little bit too open-ended. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I like to do, you guys know me, like I do a lot of thinking after the movie, but I thought this movie was like a little bit too much yeah. on that. Like, and one of them was, whether or not, you know, when he's in the freezer, does the house actually have an apparition that let him out or did he somehow get out or is, is it all in his head? You know, I, I'm with you, Rob. It's, it's a little bit ambiguous. Yeah, no, I agree. Like you need to have that balance. It's, it's good to be able to have a movie where you have to think about things when it's over and try to figure it out, but you need some explaining. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, even reading the book, I mean, sure, it explains a lot, but the movie also is different. So, you know, going just based off the movie, it's, it's hard. I can see why there are some people don't understand. And that could also be why people were like, I didn't like this movie right when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get to the end now. Let's get to the end. Uh, You know, I don't, I feel like we're not jumping too far. Just kind of go to the end here. You know, he's definitely, like you say, winning. He's all the way insane. Now he's (laughs) trying to kill them. Uh, he got out, lit out of the freezer by the ghost. And I don't know if it was Grady or it was the fuzzy bear. I don't know who it was, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, somebody lit him out, you know. Uh, the caretaker is coming back. He boarded his flight. He booked his crawler thing. He made a couple phone calls. Yeah. You know, he did all this stuff he had to do to get there. For 20 know? minutes. <laughs> yes, 20 minutes scene, you know. Uh, he finally got there, uh, and I think that's pretty much right when he gets out of the freezer, right? Gets out of the freezer, here's the caretaker guy calling, you know, is anybody here? Jack pops out of a corner, hits him right in the, I think, pretty much the heart with that axe. Can I suggest, by the way, anybody who is entering a hotel in the middle of nowhere who thinks that there's danger or murders going on, don't just go into the hotel and start screaming, hello. Yeah, like, I'm here. Walk around in silence. Yeah. This reminds me so much of when we were doing Don't Breathe and we were talking about when they first broke in and how like they don't know where the blind guy is and they're just fucking like blah 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 blah. You know? Mm -hmm. yeah exactly show the right precautions yeah 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 yeah. but uh, of course it was a it was a storytelling device for him to to die at that point so yeah 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 i mean yeah beyond that you know you got a danny goes through the window and what oh yeah then jack is chopping down the door i have so many fun facts for you guys on the end so um jack nicholson improvised here's johnny Oh, really? Wow. He improvised it. I literally, I, I don't know. I can't believe it. But um, it's a line from The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, which was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he improvised that. That wasn't written in there. And obviously that was not in the book as well. And that's mm-hmm. like such an iconic line. I mean, any website you pull up that's like top 100 best lines of any movie, that's going to be up there on the list. So I thought that was fucking awesome. Because I thought it was weird, like, thinking about it. You'd be to actually think about it. Like, his name is not John. Right. So he, is, he wouldn't be saying, like, here's I'm myself. His name is Jack. You know, so I'm like, okay. that's I never really put it together, but I'm like, oh, that's right. It's not even his actual name. Yeah, it's you know, just so, a silly line from something that was airing at that time. And a lot of people know it. Some people don't. But I love that 
Jack Nicholson like threw that in there himself. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I read something too. I think about that scene that they originally used a prop door for that cutting scene. And I guess Jack Nicholson hit it once and it just destroyed the door. Cause I guess they <laughs> said that, uh, they said that he used to be either a volunteer fireman or was a fireman back in the day. Oh, so shit. like he knows, he knows how to hit a fucking door. So he told Kubrick, like, give me a real door. I'll bust this thing open. So that's really him hitting a real door and just busting oh, it open. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Beyond that, you know, beyond that scene, uh, you know, Shelly Duvall is just, she can't fit through the window. So she's there. Uh, you know, he put, tried to put his hand in and she cuts his hand a little bit and then he, yeah. Yeah, he runs away. Uh, yeah, then you get into pretty much the maze scene mm-hmm. where he's chasing Danny through the maze. It's a really cool scene. Yeah. It's a really cool scene. They're chasing him. And, I mean, I thought it was so smart for that kid to cover his tracks. Yeah. And, and whether whether a real five-year-old would be able to think of that, I really didn't give a shit in that moment. I was just like, good job, kid. <laughs> you know? I was like, good job. I'm like, that's fucking cool. Yeah. So especially the whole movie, they're setting up this maze and they're going through the maze and they talk about the maze. So it was a really good yeah. payoff at the end to have that end in the maze. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was also only in the movie. I was going to ask, is this different? There was no maze in the book? Huh. There was no maze. Wow. And it was the exact opposite. This is like the biggest difference. The book ends with the boiler exploding and the entire hotel going down in flames with jack inside really whoa that's completely different. huge difference blows up so fire and ice literally i mean as polar opposite as you can get um so the mom and the son and dick survive and the other interesting thing to know that's different since we've given it all away at this point is that you know, I'd already said a bunch of times before that Jack is actually a likable character and it's like kind of going crazy and, you know, it's just be become one with the hotel. You know, the hotel mm-hmm. is just totally taking him in and taking over. But he actually has like a brief moment of coming out of that at the end. Oh. And basically, I forget the details, but helps them all get out momentarily before it all blows up. Oh, like almost redeeming himself at the very end. Yeah. But very brief. Like he is crazy, but it just shows that it wasn't, it wasn't him, you know? Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy too. Then in the book, because like, you know, part of this is that it's the hotel. Yeah. The hotel is really doing all this. Oh yeah. end of the movie is the hotel's still there this is going to keep going on to somebody right. else but in the book the hotel burns down so it's kind of like it's over finally it's for over. everybody yeah wow that is a huge unless they built a new hotel on top of the existing indian burial ground well, yeah of course yeah <laughs> indian the indian burial ground was also not in the book that was just something they threw in there to like probably throw oh really out. yeah oh I mean, wow yeah i thought for sure that i thought for sure that was something in the book because that goes back to like pet cemetery and stuff like that well, I thought it for... was like i thought for sure if you're gonna talk about that in the movie it's gonna be a thing like and you know anything mm-hmm. built on a indian burial ground is I mean, that, I think that's actually the premise of the poltergeist, right? Poltergeist? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a huge difference. That's crazy then. That's yeah, crazy. that is. I actually wow. have, I have my own theories uh, about that, why that's relevant to this movie, but you know, we'll, we'll get into that. What, is that like a grave digging? That's a grave digging. Oh, you want to get into grave digging now then? We, we we're, can. We're, we're going it's, for, it's, we're going for two hours and 46 minutes. So go for it. All right, let's 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 go for it. Let's do okay, it. let me let me give you a drop. Let me give you a drop. Let me give you a drop. Okay, all right, all right. Digging digging you up there, getting those Indian bones. 
Can I talk about? Okay, there you go, Greg. Okay, I want to. I want to ask a huge favor of you guys. If I really want you guys to be very indulgent of me right now, because <laughs> half of my notes in watching this movie are about what we've already talked about. The other half is what I thought the purpose of this movie was. What what this movie meant. So, I'm sorry if it's long winded, but it's just I, I feel like I, I want to get it out. So, Grave Diggings, The Shining. Okay, the main thing. <laughs> What I thought this movie about, let me get to the core of it. And I I, I circled this in my notes and I I really want to hit this over and over again. What I thought that this movie was about, and and, and I'll explain why, it's about how we deal with our past failures and how we let these failures affect who we decide to be and and how we choose to act moving forward. Okay, so I almost like wrote a bunch of notes. So I'm sorry if it feels like I'm reading off of my notes, but I'm going to do that because I, I don't even know what I wrote half the time. Are you, are you sure? Are you sure your notes are actually words and they're not just like Greg is not a dull boy or something like that? Oh my god! Like, take a look. What do you, what do you think, man? This looks like the, the writings of a mm-hmm. madman. Tell oh me, my god, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely look insane. Mm-hmm. This very this movie has a, a huge psychological component to it. I'm sure you guys can can acknowledge that. And after watching the first time, I, I I'll be honest with you. By the time I got to the end of the of the movie for the first time, do you, do you want to know what I thought? I thought, eh, it was okay. And I know that this movie is held in high regard, but when I first watched, it, I thought, eh, well, it was alright. And that had probably had to do a little bit of you know having seen a lot of these tropes in in uh in the media over the years seeing jack's face pop through the 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 door you know i i saw the the tv version of this movie there are a lot of things that i've been exposed to it'd be like watching star wars for the first time you know a new hope now where you already know about vader you know you already know all the tropes so it doesn't really have the impact that it would yeah. if you had watched it the first time mm-hmm. so a lot of the big hitting scenes like when she saw the, the typewriter and the fact that he hadn't been really writing anything this whole time. A lot of that was a little bit lost on me. But, you know, honestly, my take from this movie, it took me a while to, to think about what this movie was about and put all the pieces together, in, in my opinion. It could really be about something that has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. But I want to say it anyway, just because this is how I interpret it. So I don't know if you guys are, you know, a, a common thing that, common theme that kept popping up in this movie is the fact that your past continues to haunt you. Would you agree that, that you noticed that mm-hmm. they kept talking about this movie was built a hundred. The, the, the hotel was built a hundred years ago. Things happened in the past. Now they're happening now. You know, it was like this bridge between past and future. So the one thing that I really picked up from this, from this movie was that it's the idea of defense mechanisms. So defense mechanisms, again, obviously we know I'm not a scientist. I'm not a professional in this field. This is, again, bro science 101. But psychologically speaking, defense mechanisms are strategies that we unconsciously use to protect ourselves from anxiety arising from unacceptable thoughts or feelings. Now, essentially, when we're faced with anxiety, when we deal with thoughts and feelings that are uncomfortable, we have some type of mechanism that that shields us from that that doesn't allow us to to really accept that at face value but the problem with that is that our defense mechanisms psychologically it it distorts reality we often deny what is right in front of our face um, and it kind of falsifies our perception of reality and what they do is that it provides you know one thing i remember from my psych 101 class back you know 
freaking 15 years ago was that our personality is divided into like three types. You know, this is one theory, Freudian theory, that we're divided into the id, which is like our primal wants, our needs, and like our our animal impulses, right? And then you have the superego, which is the notion that we have morals, principles that are higher, right, that are... Um, based on society, based on our community, based on the people around us, based on our religion, whatever it is. So that's like the higher side of our nature, our personality. Then you have this middle part, which is what's called the ego, which is sort of the, the middleman, which balances between these two. And they basically have to take our, our natural desires and our wants, which are based in like desire and surviving and, and our morals and our ethics and merge them together and create, um, you know, a solution, a resolution. So the, the problem is, is that our defense mechanisms are triggered when our ego is threatened, you know, so it creates a shield. And in this movie, I noticed that all of the characters, whether it was Wendy, whether it was Jack and even Danny, they all had various defense mechanisms that caused them to not perceive reality the way that it was. And I actually, when I look at this movie in in retrospect, I think that it presents a case for how we should deal with our anxieties the wrong way and what is the right way to deal with our anxieties, right? So I ended up looking up various defense mechanisms, psychologically speaking, and I just wanted to go over five of them really quickly with you guys. I say it really quickly. It's going to be long. I'm sorry. But I, I promise you it's relevant. Again, bear with me, okay? okay. Right. And, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you how it relates to the movie. Okay. So the first one's called displacement, and that's taking, your, taking out your angers on other people. So when something pisses you off, when something angers you, and you actually have no recourse, you know, you can't, like if your boss makes you mad, or the government makes you mad or whatever. And you feel like you can't act out toward that entity because it's beyond you. It's above you. It has more power. What do you do? You transfer that anger to the vulnerable people around you, the people that you love, the people that unfortunately are the ones that have to take the brunt of that. So in this movie, displacement is represented by Jack's anger, right? He stressed out the fact that as a teacher – as a former teacher, rather, and uh, as a not really a succeeding writer, he's angry that he can't make the money that he needs to sustain his family. So he takes out his anger, obviously, on who? Dandy. In the beginning of the movie, I guess some medical professional comes to, gets to their house and asks Wendy why Danny blacked out, you know, and what is his medical history? And she goes, oh, well... You know, he's had, uh, he's, he's, had, he's been having these episodes of blacking out since he was, you know, a, a toddler um, in, in nursery school. And it started happening around the time where, you know, one day, obviously, his father came home drunk. And um, he had thrown around some of his school papers. And the, the father got mad and tried to grab him, you know, and pick, lift him up off the ground too fast. And it dislocated his shoulder. So obviously, when we look at that, we realize like Jack Nicholson's character was just too angry. He was too aggressive. And he took out his anger on his kid. So that's, you know, that's the wrong way that you're supposed to deal with um, 
anxiety, right? If you're having problems with your career, with uh, sustaining your family, you don't take it out on your kids, right? But the movie also shows us the right way of dealing with it. There's a scene where Jack is, you know, he has a little bit of writer's block. So he's out in the lobby and he's throwing the ball against the wall. So apparently in psychology, that's called sublimation, where you take a lot of the anger and a lot of the aggression that you have and you let it out in a in a healthy way, you know, punching a punching bag, going out and shooting hoops, throwing a ball against the wall like you see him doing. You basically, you know, you have to let out that emotion in some way, but you don't take it out on your, your wife and kids. So that was the, the first defense mechanism that I was able to see in this movie. The second one is, is called rationalization. And that's where you, you basically use excuses to justify a negative reflection on you. So the first example is how Jack blames Wendy for the lack of progress that he's having in his writing. There's that scene, I don't know if you guys remember, where he goes, oh, um, you want to take our kid out of this hotel? Yeah, typical of you to sabotage me right when I'm in the middle of being able to, like, break through and, you know, make some real success in my writing. He's basically trying to, you know, uh, make an excuse for his failures by saying his wife is the cause of it. Another example of rationalization is where, and you guys were just talking about this, the, the, the hotel manager mentioned that the hotel was built on Indian burial grounds in the early 1900s. And he goes, oh yeah, I think even when they built this hotel, it, they had to fight off some engines. Yeah. You remember that scene? Yeah. That, that part? At first I thought, okay, I'm sure they didn't have to deal with the Native Americans in the early 1900s, but whatever. Aside from that, the fact is, is that, you know, the United States was, in a lot of ways, and Rob, I'm sure you know this, you've done a lot of research into this, built off of Manifest Destiny. Wow. The idea that, you know, the, uh, the white Europeans are meant to take over other, let, you know, more primitive countries in the world in order to bring them up to modern civilization in order to improve their, their culture, you know, and by taking over their land and unfortunately slaughtering a lot of their nations, which we experience in, in the United States, right? I mean, literally our entire Native American population is virtually gone, right? Because we've wiped them out in the, in the, uh, in the nature of imperialism, right? So, but we've rationalized that by saying, well, hey, guess what? We made better use of the land. Now we have a modern civilization. Now we have healthcare. Now we have cultivated land so that's just one way of like rationalizing you know uh things that we uh, past atrocities by using um you know rational thoughts of modernization the third one was where very clear to me whenever they whenever anybody tried to bring up jack abusing danny you know the Mm -hmm. fact that he grabbed him too hard and dislocated his arm. You know, in the very first scene, Wendy is talking to, I don't know if that lady, is she a doctor or a psychologist yeah. or what? Like a doctor. She's like a, a general doctor. practitioner, yeah. right? She covers for Jack. She goes, oh, well, he was, you know, he was drunk, drunk one night and he was um, not in the greatest of moods. And he, no- and he noticed that uh, Danny had uh, spread a lot of his school papers on the floor. And Jack got mad and picked him up too quickly and dislocated his arm. But there's a scene late in the movie when Jack is 
uh, hallucinating the bartender where he confesses that he actually pulled on his kid's arm way too fast. And it was because his kid had scattered his work papers, his writing Mm -hmm. on the floor. Mm -hmm. So that was obviously like, you realize, oh, okay, well, Wendy was trying to cover for him. She's making excuses. She's trying to rationalize his, his, uh, you know, violent behavior. And I thought those were really good examples of people who deny the past by, by trying to rationalize it. Right. Yeah. A third defense mechanism is, is repression. And I thought that was most starkly manifested by Danny. So repression is where you keep out or you force out unwanted information from your conscious awareness where you almost like, you know, you hear about people who go, Oh my God, I just realized like I was abused as a kid or I, you know, they don't even remember these memories, uh, these horrible experiences happening to them until they're in their like twenties or thirties. They just suddenly pops up into their brain. Right. So repression is a defense mechanism that we use to just when something is so overwhelming, apparently it just, our brain can't handle it. So it just keeps it out. It almost like pretends like it never happened. If it didn't happen, we can't remember it. It can't hurt us. Right. But the problem with repression as a defense mechanism is that it's actually, the memory is always there. It's deep within us and it is always affecting us. Right. So with Danny, I thought, he was repressing the memory of Jack abusing him. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, the, in the beginning of the movie, they talk about Jack being really tough with him, hurting him, dislocating his arm. And I think the reason why we see Tony, you know, uh, he's like, oh, Tony is my imaginary friend. That I talk to my finger. He lives in my mouth. Yeah. He lives wherever, right? I thought he created Tony because he, he couldn't deal with the idea that his own dad hurt him. So he created Tony. Tony is the way, is the, cha- is the channel that he's able to talk about these things, right? So, um, so Danny uses Tony as a way to like express feelings and thoughts that, that he can't, you know, and he blanks out. Tony is the only way that he can talk about these horrible things that have happened to him from his own dad. So the fourth one is, is, is den- denial. And this one happens a lot, Okay. Denial is where you deny the awareness of things that kind of challenge a favorable view of yourself. So if you think of yourself in a certain way, and if something threatens that, then you want to deny it. So the first example of that is the fact that Jack denies the fact that he has a drinking problem. You know, he, he, he sees the bartender and he, uh, he orders a drink so casually Mm-hmm. Forgetting about the fact that, you know, he has made this commitment to his wife that, oh, you know, I'm sober for five months. I'm not going to take another drink. And if I do, you can leave me. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't think he has a, a drinking problem. So he's denying it. And he denied in talking to the bartender that he even hurt his kid. He's like, I didn't even hurt the kid. I would never lay a finger on him. You know, he's trying to pretend like he would never do these things, but he actually did. And of course, he's denying his failure as a writer. He doesn't like the idea that he is not a good, you know, he, he's not a good writer. He's not a successful teacher. So he denies that. Um, and there was this thing in this movie. I, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but there's a big theme with mirrors. Mm-hmm. Do you guys notice that at all? So I, I, I really picked up on that. And I thought every time that you saw a mirror in this movie, it was a chance for that character to reflect on themselves yeah. and make a decision to change their path. Right. And there were like plenty of scenes where a mirror popped up. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, 
to me, the, and this again, this is still like in the, the, the denial uh, uh, defense mechanism. So one of the scenes was where, um, where when they first get to the hotel, Wendy brings them, uh, Wendy brings Jack his breakfast. And she goes, oh, hey, do you want to go take me for a walk? And he goes, oh, no, I should probably start writing. And then he starts talking about, like, I've never been this happy or comfortable anywhere. In, it's in that scene where that whole scene is filmed like through a mirror, yeah. through yeah. a reflection mirror. And really, he's lying. He's not happy. He's not comfortable at all. He's so uncomfortable. But the thing is, is the mirror is his opportunity to like admit, like, oh, my God, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'm a good husband. I don't know if I'm a good writer. You know, I'm really vulnerable here. But instead, he lies. He goes yeah. like, oh, you know what? I should probably start writing, you know, but I've never been happy. This place is so peaceful. Mm-hmm. He failed on that first, that moment. Yeah. The second one was when, you know, when his kid walks into the room and, and, and his kid goes, oh, you know, he walks over to him and, and, uh, and Jack says like, oh, I would never do anything to hurt you. That scene, again, was filmed through a mirror. Hmm. And it's a total lie. You know, the pat based on his past, he would never do anything to hurt him. Yeah. Well, you did, right? And the third one was right after that scene where Wendy confronts, you know, Jack by saying, oh, my God, you did this to, to Danny. You gave him that bruise on your neck and, like, kind of, like, runs away w- w- with the kid. The, the very next scene, you see Jack. Do you guys remember where he's walking through that hallway? He's going toward the gold room, and then he kind of, like, twitches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, the thing that I noticed about that movie, that, that scene, was that he's walking toward the camera from the back of the hallway, right? And throughout the hallway, there are mirrors on either side of the hallway, placed at maybe 20 feet apart. Anytime he walked in front of the mirror, he twitched. He freaked out. Huh. I think it's because he, he couldn't handle looking at himself. Wow. He, wow. he was denying the fact that he actually hurt his kid. He, you know, I, I, I promise you guys, watch this scene again. When he walks in front of the mirror, he twitches. He like goes like this. He covers his eyes, and then he walks normally in. And then when he walks in front of the mirror again, he like does this over his mm-hmm. neck. Like He can't handle the fact that he abused his own kid. So it happens four times. He walks oh, wow. in front of the mirror mm-hmm. four times, and he like twitches, and he freaks out. So he honestly – Every opportunity that Jack is looks in the mirror and he's forced to confront himself, he fails. He does not accept responsibility for his actions. He looks at it and goes, that's not me. And then the very next scene, he goes into the bar, right? And what does he do? He, you know, he's sitting at the bar. And, of course, the bar the, should be empty. There's no alcohol. And all you do is you have that mirror in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. And he envisions the bartender. Yeah, mm-hmm. And rather than being able to look at himself and say, oh, I've been a failure, I've been a drunk, I've been a bad dad, instead he has a conversation with himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several other scenes where anytime that he faces a mirror, when he should be able to accept who he is, he just denies it. Again, when he's in the bathroom with Grady, you know, uh, there are so many instances. So that's one of the other defense mechanisms that I saw. And the very, very last one, I, I hope you guys picked up on this. Um, but I looked it up, and the best way that I could characterize it is by a defense mechanism called regression. So regression is when if you're super stressed, basically you regress by reverting to an earlier stage when you felt happier, you felt more secure. So after that scene where Jack, or rather when Wendy thinks that Jack hurt Danny, her and Danny, they go back to the room. And do you guys remember that they're watching a TV? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know what they're watching, but to me, it seemed very clear. You know, the camera was zooming in very closely on the TV yeah. set. It was very, like, sexual. The, the, the scene was like a housewife baking cookies or something, and she goes, um, and, and there's, like, a young, there's a young man in her house. Mm-hmm. And on the TV, the, the wife goes, oh, um, I should pay you money for your services. And he goes, oh, no, I can't accept that. And she goes, oh, okay, well, do you drink coffee? Can I offer you some coffee? And he goes, oh, I'd like that. And she goes, okay, sit down. I'll make you some coffee. And they have, you know, it reminded me of like funny games. Remember in funny games when there's that egg scene and Rob, and Rob, you were like, oh, it felt very sexual. Yeah. The yeah. fact that like she was by herself and she invited him in, Oh man. you know, this, when they were watching the TV, like right after that, that, that split between her and Jack, it made me think, oh my God, she's regressing. She's, she's realizing that her and her husband, Jack, they're not on any romantic level whatsoever. They're the furthest from it. So she's trying to like, she's watching this TV show and she's like fantasizing about this romance, you know, mm-hmm. and it's helping her cope with it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a defense mechanism because rather than confront Jack, you know, reasonably so, he's a psycho, right? Who would want to confront him? She's like watching this TV and kind of like being, oh my God, this dreamy, like, you know, young man who's, come, you know, it just feels nicer and it feels more secure. Yeah. Um, so that's the last of the defense mechanisms. But the, and my whole point of this is that this whole movie, every character, whether it's Danny, Wendy, or Jack, they are trying to ignore the reality of what has happened to them or what they've done. And instead, they're trying to defend their ego by having these defense mechanisms. So a big part of this movie is like a lot of, to do with the human capacity for good and bad, you know, everything between. If you've done a lot of good in the past, it doesn't matter. You always have the capacity to do evil mm-hmm. things. If you think you're a good person, you can always, you know, do something bad. Yeah. Vice versa. If you've done so many bad things in your past, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how guilty you feel, how judged you feel. There's always an opportunity to do something good. You know, and I'm not talking about the justice system, which yeah. requires us to like control good and bad, you know, and, and punish people. I'm just talking about like, the human spirit. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, you can always change your behavior. So I thought that the biggest thing in this movie, like, um, is that the only way to escape the terror of the past is to not repeat it. Hmm. And the problem is that we often always just repeat the same mistakes that we do over and over again because we don't know how to confront it in the right way, right? We don't actually, instead of like facing it head on, we just employ these defense mechanisms and pretend like it never happened or pretend that it's somebody else's problem or, or that somebody else caused it. So I thought that the, the whole purpose of this movie was to try to explain to you that what you're supposed to do is turn around, face, you know, what you've screwed up and basically walk back those steps, you know, in the reverse order from which you came, trace back how you got there, why you got there. And then when you get to like the root cause, change your path. You know, you, you can't cover it up. You can't bury it. Like the idea that the hotel was built on an, an Indian burial ground. You know, you can't just, you're, you're disrespecting the dead. You can't just build, you can't just pretend like it never happened. You know, I think that was one of the, the big themes of this movie is you can't just bury the past and pretend like it never happened. You have to, you have to confront it. Or the fact that 
you know, Danny repressed his past, what he thinks happened to him from, uh, from his dad. You can't just pretend like it never happened. Wendy creating excuses for, for Jack's behavior. You can't just pretend it didn't happen or that it's okay. The past is always going to continue to haunt you unless you confront it. So, you know, that the, one of the most iconic theme, uh, scenes in the movie was where Danny goes, and he says, red rum. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. And he goes, red rum. And it's super creepy. And, you know, he goes up, takes some lipstick and writes red rum on the door. And then you see Wendy look in the mirror again. And she sees that red rum spelled backwards as murder. So that was another uh, representation of what I'm talking about. It's literally reversing the spelling of the, wor- of the word murder. So in that scene, I don't know if you guys remember, that was where like Danny, he went from being Danny to being all Tony. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Where he was like, oh, Danny's gone away, Mrs. Torrance. So he's all Tony. And, you know, if you think about if Tony is this imaginary character that Danny created to express what he couldn't express himself, and then suddenly when Tony took over all the way, to me, mm-hmm. that meant that Danny was finally allowing himself to express the fact that he was abused by his dad mm-hmm. because he, he fully, he went full Tony. Yeah, and then there was Tony. He was full Tony, <laughs> and, then, and then he was just Tony for a while. Do you guys remember that? He like had that voice, yeah. and then there was that 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 scene where he almost yeah. raised he Tony uh, or Danny as Tony raised the knife to to his mom and almost stabbed her. Mm-hmm. I took that as I think that Danny was repressing this memory that he thought that his mom was. He, he, I think he was angry at his mom for like not defending him against his dad. For like, instead of, instead of defending him, saying like, oh, you're my son, you know, we're going to get out of this mess, maybe get out of this household. He de- she kept defending Jack. So I think he was maybe angry at his mom unconsciously for taking that position. So that's why he like almost stabbed her, right, as Tony. But then he stopped short of that. And then he became Danny again. And I thought that was his overcoming Mm-hmm. of his repressed emotions he suddenly thought that oh my god i can forgive her i i i can go over that and then of course in the very end you know when jack is like chasing his uh, danny he's like oh i'm gonna kill you they're like running through that that maze then of course robbie mentioned that that moment where he decides to like step back through his footprints in the snow mm-hmm. and that was literally danny backtracking his steps and covering his tracks right mm-hmm. so that's to me that was like representing a person who can change their paths and escape the same fate as someone else. Right. So to me, like this movie was like, you know, there's always a path to do the right thing, you know, and it doesn't matter how, how guilty or or judge you, you feel there's always some good to do. Yeah. And you you can always seek it, but it's not, you can't find that in just denying things or blaming it on other people. You literally have to face it and like red rum turning into murder or him stepping back in his tracks. You have to like face it, turn around, walk it back in the reverse order. And then when you get to that root cause, change your path. Yeah. And that's the road to redemption to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and, and the shining to me, all this, what that means to me, the shining is just our brain. It's just our intelligent uh, intuition that communicates to the dumb side of us um, that says, you know, we're about to do something stupid. We're about to follow the same path. You know, let's change that. 
So I know that a lot of this movie had very supernatural elements to it, mm-hmm. a lot of ghosts, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, haunted apparitions, and that's cool. But I think, like, in a very real term, in a, in a very real sense, I thought the movie was just was really about that it was about like redemption and you know realizing that your path your your past doesn't dictate your present or or your future you can always change it yeah wow wow <laughs> that's what i got that's what i got from this movie i know it's very uh, supernatural mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. that's definitely the longest grave diggings we've done so. <laughs> i know thank you guys for bearing with me i, I really had to say that because mm-hmm. this movie is freaking crazy but yeah mm-hmm. like to me that's the ultimate message that i got out of everything yeah. so uh, thanks no, I mean, that was, that was amazing. It definitely made me look at a lot of things differently. Um, but I do agree. I, I think it is pretty apparent that Jack does have a choice through this movie. And he's very vulnerable and he has a very troubled past. And so it was easy for him to kind of give in to the evil of the hotel. But he honestly had a choice. And he, if he were sh- a stronger character, he could have chosen to not succumb to like the hotel and the evil and not want to be crazy and want to kill his family. But you know, yeah, yeah, it's a good, that's good. All right. All right. Well, thank you graves for making an appearance. Uh, I would say go look in a mirror yourself and figure out your life. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to take it with me into my coffin. All right. Thanks graves. (laughs) All right, Greg's Hi. back. Greg's back. Let, let's let's move to the end end here that I wanted to talk to Laura about and this fucking picture at the end and what the hell this picture means. And Well, in the movie, he is chasing his son to the maze and it's a massive snowstorm. And because Danny is smart enough to kind of cover his backtrack, cover his tracks, and because Jack has, you know, never been through the maze before, he essentially loses track of him, gets lost, and freezes to death. So he dies. But because the hotel, you know, he gave into that. He gave into that evil and he became mad. And he basically, like, I mean, this is kind of going above and beyond, but he signed over like his soul almost, like with a contract to the hotel and chose to ultimately follow that path and kill, kill, kill. And that was that. So even upon his death, he now belongs to the hotel. And I actually think it's really kind of cute's not the right word. Funny maybe, but he obviously was happiest at the bar, you know, talking to Lloyd, the bartender, Mm -hmm. who's just always happy to strike a conversation with him. Um, He seems so happy in that scene. So it's almost like now all of a sudden, you know, you see him in this photo and it's like, now he gets to, live that life he gets to live the life of the 1920s guy who attends the gold room and go to the bar and and that's his destiny now his apparition within the hotel oh so okay so now i get your saying so he's so he's like a ghost so he's a ghost in the hotel now yes oh Oh. yes He he belongs to the hotel Okay, I, that's where I was getting confused. I thought that the, the photo at the end was something saying like he's he's been here this whole time, like he's actually from the fifties or whatever. Twenties. That is 20s, a yeah. very common theory mm-hmm. for this movie yeah. was that he was always there and he was like reincarnated as Jack Torrance. Um, that is not how it is in the book mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I think if you see the movie, that's a fair theory, especially because the scene where Grady's like, 
you've always been a caretaker. Yeah. That makes mm-hmm. people think like, oh, well, shit, maybe he, yeah. he is reincarnated. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of think that's, that's a reach though. Is the, is the photo part in the book? Is that in the book or no? No. No. no, but I mean, you, you see the photo before he's in it and he's not in it. So that kind of oh, really? that theory. Oh. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about that photo was that, so this is the very, 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 very last scene of the movie. After Jack has died, you're like zooming in on this wall. They have a bunch of photos of various parties that have been held at the hotel over the decades. And then as it zooms closer, you see this like big ballroom dance where you have like hundreds of people have a grand old time. And at the center, in the middle, in the front is there's Jack. He got this huge grin. He's got his like hands out. He's the center of the party you know having yeah. a grand old time and i thought oh my god like when i saw that fo- that picture and then of course they zoom in like three or four different times and they show that it's like july 4th 1920 something i thought that was the happiest that he looked the entire movie i know it made sense it was like you know it, it was 1920 something it's like that's the roaring 20s right yeah. when like the economy was booming when nobody had to worry about having a job no we had to, to worry about like making ends, you know, you know, meet the economy's booming because the war was going on. So it was like, you know, you had these parties, you were able to be affluent in your own way, you know. Yeah. Um, so like, I thought that was really interesting. But to me, I took it like you did, like, oh, now the hotel has absorbed him into its, its walls. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. 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 Oh, okay. No, that makes sense. And now that you broke it down like that, okay. All right. I, I like that. Then I like that. I was just you know, wanted you to be like, oh, the book, it's this, to like clearly answer the question, but it's not even in the book, so it's it's not even really an answer, but... Yeah, the book never even sort of alludes to the fact that he could have belonged there previously. That yeah. is so not huh. it at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why are there so many differences? Like, I don't, I don't know if I get that. Like, Stephen King is such a prolific writer. I would be so, like, nervous to straight... He, they didn't follow... They, yeah, they didn't follow his screen right. So like, you know, Kubrick took over, someone else ended up doing the, uh, like the rewrite for the script. And um, they, yeah, they, and that's why um, you could Google it. And, you know, Stephen King was really unimpressed. Yeah. Um, he didn't, he thought the adaptation was poor, which it is. I mean, it's very different if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think is so interesting about this is that all these articles say that he was unhappy and it was a poor adaptation. Yet then they also say that as years went by, he then is like, I don't hate the shining as a movie. Like, yeah, it was, it was fine. And I feel like that is such a huge thing. I feel like it, there are articles out there that say that this movie got poor reviews when it first came out yet then a decade later. And I think we even said this people then think back on it and they're like, no, that was great. Yeah. So how crazy that this movie was able to, you know, come out and people are like, oh, okay, you know, just kind of feeling medium about this, lukewarm, whatever. And then for it to be so effective in everyone's memory, including Stephen King, who I would think would be kind of pissed, like this is nothing like my book. Mm-hmm. And look back on this and be like, wow. And for this to continue just to be like so iconic and make everyone's top 10 list of horror movies. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was kind of my, that's so crazy that you say that because 
I didn't know about any of that, but that was literally my experience over the last two or three days. We, we watched it about two <laughs> days ago, and like I told you guys, when, when the credits started rolling after the end, I was like, oh, eh, okay, it was fine. But then, of course, now that I'm like kind of poised to look deeper into these movies, I spent like the last day thinking about what the hell everything was about. And I literally like had this accelerated process of appreciation like what you're talking about like people kind of go oh maybe they didn't like it right off the bat it was very slow it was maybe kind of boring maybe some parts were overacted whatever your you know uh, aversion to it was but then like after the movie's done and you turn off the tv and you think about it some more you there's a lot to appreciate and think about it uh, and it really improves the movie i think yeah yeah crazy uh, Laura, did you have any, um, did anything grind your gears in this movie? Did anything bug you visually? Yeah. Oh, actually, okay. Oh, uh, we got, we, wait, you're going to have one? You got a grinding gears? Well, eh, sort of. Okay, really. let me, uh, okay. Uh, okay, let me do the drop. Let me do the drop, okay? Richard Gere. <laughs> Okay. All right, Laura. So, what did, did what what uh grind what ground ground what grinded your gear? <laughs> um, I feel I feel really bad saying this, and it wasn't anything like the blinking or the open mouth in the water, like from what the right one in. Nothing to this degree, but I do feel like Wendy, the act, Shelley Duvall, she kind of looked like an awkward giraffe in like a lot of her <laughs> movements. Like she would just be like, she would have like a knife or a bat and she'd be just moving mm-hmm. all weird. But then I kind of felt bad because I'm like, I think I might actually look like that too sometimes, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I kind of felt bad. But one thing I will say that's bugged me today um, and it's not happening anymore, but for the first half of this recording, uh, let me paint this picture for our listeners. Rob is in his car. <laughs> okay. He's in his car and it's pitch black uh-huh. and he's recording from his car. And we have these mics that when they're, you know, hooked up to the computer and we have the app up, it's the blue nano Yeti mic. Um, it blinks. And so for half of this podcast episode, I look up, so I have it where it's like Rob's Mm -hmm. on top, I'm in the middle, Greg's on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And Rob's box is pitch black with just a fucking Mm -hmm. blinking for Mm -hmm. half the goddamn recording. It's just like blink, blink, Mm -hmm. blink. And it honestly Mm -hmm. drove me crazy. It's like breaking the fourth wall right there, Rob. Breaking the fourth wall, man. That bugged me more than anything from this movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Laura. I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's all all you got, Laura? That's it? That's all I got. That's it? Yeah. Me Mm -hmm. and my light? Okay. All right. Yeah. I guess we'll take it then. We'll take it then. Um, Mm -hmm. There is one thing that we did not mention that's huge, though. I don't know if you guys found this in your, like, research. It was never room 237. It was 217. What do you mean? You mean in the book? In the book, it was 217. And when they first made the movie, it was supposed to be 217. However, and I don't remember if it was Stanley or the Timber Lodge Hotel or maybe both, but they're functioning hotels to this day. And they have a room 217. And they were like, I don't want this to, you know, 
drive away business and people to think like, oh shit, that's the room from The Shining. So they changed it to 237 because that room number does not exist. Oh, that's crazy. So 237 is so super iconic. Everyone, yeah. I mean, Greg didn't know in our SAT test. Obviously. Greg didn't know anything on that test. Thanks. So. Yeah, he didn't know anything about the Shining. Fact. 237 to me is like, mm-hmm. oh my God. And I've read the book and I still am like, 237, 237. But it was oh, 217. Wow. That's cool. So that was a big, huh. big change, yeah. That is crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's kind of a messed up thing to do on Stephen King's part. Like, imagine if he were to go like, oh, yeah, room 105 is the one where murderous things happen. Like, then every yeah. hotel is going to be like, oh, now we got to close yeah. down all of our 105s. I know. That's it's crazy. like hotels. Like, everybody has heard that joke about the 13th floor. It's like, yep, you know, I was just going to say on, that. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, then you get into an elevator and it's like there's a button for thir- or 12 and then a button for 14 and you're on the 14th floor and you're like, I know I'm going to the 13th floor. <laughs> it's not like they have a 13th floor that's completely unoccupied. You're just calling it the 14th floor and it's mm. the 13th yeah, floor. Yeah, like we can still do math. Yeah. Like exactly. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Funny. I didn't know about that. Cool. That yeah. grinds my gears too. Oh, well, there you go. There's grinding your gears. Okay. All right, let's do your little your little exit drop here. All right, bye. Okay. Richard Gere. Blink, 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 blink. Okay, there goes. Laura. So that's my intro and my exit. Yeah, oh, it's it's rough. so good. He's it twice. It's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so let's get into now that now that we went through this pretty much this whole movie. Uh, we went through all the characters, what they've all been through, how literally everybody in this movie is tormented. Uh, I want to do the horrorish segment now, so this is definitely oh, yeah. going to be it's going to be a question. So, <laughs> thanks, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I leading up to this, I studied every one of Jack Nicholson's movies just so I know. <laughs> Oh, and it's wasted on you because yeah, it's a question. It's a question, Greg. I'm going to wait until you get lazy and then I'll pop it in there again. So the, so the question I thought about for this week was um, if you had to be one character from this movie, who would you pick and why? Oh. If you had to pick one character to be like as, you know, pretty much living through this movie again, what character would you pick and why? Because like I said, everybody in this movie is fucked up. Everybody, Dude, that's a fucked up question. It man. is a fucked up. That's why I thought like it's going to be a really good question because it's just like it's a no-win scenario. Everybody has a really bad experience. Well, this is – let me ask you like a sub-question to your question, Rob. Is it like am I being placed in the shoes of someone's position or am I literally like moment to moment living their life? Because anybody who dies, I don't want to be that person. But, you know, if I'm in a situation, maybe I know of another way to live. No, you literally have to do the exact same thing that happens over these two and a half hours. But you're that you're that character. You know, this is fucked. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why it was a good question. Maybe Maybe. Rob should answer first. Yeah. Kick it off. Rob. I can answer first. Uh, I'm I'm easily the furry. You know, I'm the furry guy. That's an easy one for me. I'm usually that guy. Come on, you know. I'm already <laughs> husky. Plumbing, palatio, and yeah. an old man. You know, sure. I'm a husky guy. It's okay. It fits. You know, it's, it works out. You know, mm-hmm. that's me. I'm the furry, just doing my thing. Okay, Damn. there's there's my answer. You guys, now you guys go. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, clearly, I, I, let me let me step in now. I don't want to be Jack. He dies. He he goes crazy. I don't want to be 
Wendy, she is perpetually in extreme angst the entire movie. She's sweating. She's she's threatened. The kid is under you know terror as a child. That's horrible. I don't want to be anybody in the, in the, in the family, nor do I want to be Dick. He gets uh, killed pretty horrifically. I'm going to say, let me be the, the hotel manager that leaves the hotel. Oh, God. Honestly, he's not going to come back to a hotel in, in a good condition because now he what he has on his hands is another murderer and another mess to clean up, but really he's the one that comes out of this movie the best. He basically, he runs a hotel, he has people who take care of things, gives it to Jack, comes back six months later, does what he's got to do. He's, the, to me, he's the, the ideal character. Mm-hmm. You're the hotel manager? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Puck. Totally yeah. playing it safe. I know that's... that's I know, come on, Greg, jeez. No, no main characters are... Uh, I know. My my pick. No, no main. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Like, even though Jack's my favorite character to watch, mm-hmm. I obviously don't want to be Jack. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like I would be Jack if you could make your own decisions. Like, you have a yeah. wife who is willing to be to be a companion for you, cook for you, like do things in the house and be a part of your life and support you, even though you're not doing good at your job. Take care of your kid. Like, what else do you want? You have a hotel to yourself. I would be yeah. him, but I would not. Like you know, mm-hmm. follow the same path that he that he picked. So mm-hmm. if that's the premise of this question, I'm not getting anywhere near Jack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. And and like, even though the yeah, you're right. Even though the kid and the mom live, they're mm-hmm. so traumatized. Especially her, she is so traumatized. So it's like you get to live, but at what cost? Their lives are fucked. And mm-hmm. you know, I I don't want The Shining. I don't want it. I, after reading his books, hell no. So that takes out Danny and Dick. So you know what? I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna give into the hotel, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna be Lloyd the bartender. I'm just Whoa, gonna cool. party. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna party at this hotel. I'm gonna serve up drinks, which we all mm-hmm. know I love to do. That's true. That's true. And you know, he never did anything bad. He just serves drinks and talks to Jack and. He's a mm-hmm. chill guy. That's an awesome yeah. answer. That's a good pick. That's so, a good pick. Maybe I'll maybe I'll come down from my room sometime and take off my bear costume and get a drink. But I mean, uh, and cool. is the mm-hmm. is the gold room not the coolest bar ever? I mean, it's awesome. I know. I wouldn't mind being there all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As long as I get to come down there sometimes, maybe I'll put on a little bow tie on my bear costume and then I'll come down. Oh yeah, you know? like Roaring Twenties, mm-hmm. huge party happening around me. Oh yeah. Yeah, we'll do me and you, Laura. We'll just torment Greg because he's he's taking the easy way out and he's being the owner yeah. of the place. We'll just torment him. Mm-hmm. Which party looks better, the, the the party, the ballroom party at the Gold Room, or the the beach party on the boardwalk in Lost Boys? <laughs> oh, you, come on, Lost Boys! It has to be Lost Boys. There's nobody playing a saxophone in the Roaring Twenties. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. That's a tough question, That's but I kind of think. I almost feel like this was New Year's Eve mm-hmm. in the 1920s, like Roaring Twenties up in the Gold Room. And Drinks oh my God. Rolling, yeah, like black ties. Yeah. Formal long dress. Mm-hmm. Very gas. All these cocktails. Oh, mm-hmm. see, yeah. I fucking love that. So yeah, I think I'd rather be there. No, Lost Please. Boys all the way. No, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to be there too, but yeah, I had to pick. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Good answers, guys. Everybody except Greg. Good answers, everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I took the easy way out. I had to. <laughs> apologize for that. No, it's okay, Greg. It's okay. It's all right, Greg. It's not a lot right. of choices. I know. I know. I know. Um, all right. So that's pretty much that. That's pretty much the rest of the movie there. Um, yeah. Let's uh, so let's get to our ratings then. You know, um, for this one, I was thinking let's do the obvious one here, of uh, how many drinks would you give this movie? How many? How many yes. cocktails? How many drinks? How many cups of something? You know, I feel like we already have a drop for that, so we might as well do. A, What's in the cups? You know, we might we might as well do one to five cups, and also uh, what's in your cup? What do you drink? Ooh. What are in those five cups? Wow. You know, yeah. pertaining to this movie, you know? Um, okay. I, think, I don't know if Laura should go first. Uh, she picked this movie. I feel like she's definitely going to be the highest on it. Yeah. I'm going to give this um, four dirty martinis and a half shot of bourbon. Wow. So that's like. Which a, is about wait, so- my equivalent to like a 4.2. Oh, okay. Not quite four and a half. Four a and full, half. Sh- a full mm-hmm. shot would have been like four and a half. It's like a mm. half shot. Wow. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's strong. Mm. I I have such good memories of watching this movie, mm-hmm. reading this book. Um, I like I said, it's just so iconic for me, and uh, I just the acting of Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. It's just so entertaining, so funny, Ugh, so good. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 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 What about you, Greg? How many uh, how many drinks, how many cups are you giving this movie and what's in them? I, I like Laura's. I don't know if you guys picked up on this during the bar scene. Jack ordered a bourbon, but then mm-hmm. the bartender gave him JD. I thought that was w- weird. Yeah. I don't know why that yeah. happened. So, but given the fact that this is my drink tonight, my drink is going to be all Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Out of five cups, I will give it, I want to give this movie four full shots. Of, of JD, but the thing is, is I want to say that two of those shots are still in the bottle. Two have already been poured, and, and this is my rationale: is that when I first watched this movie, honestly, I when I got to the end, as I told you multiple times, I was kind of like not unimpressed, but I was like, okay, it was cool, it was mysterious, a lot of weird things, but I felt that the Stanley Kubrick forced a lot of the thinking and the heavy lifting onto the viewer. And yeah. while I'm not a huge fan of that, you know, right out the gates, you know, I've got, we have so many movies we want to get to that we don't have time to sit back and reflect on the movies that we've watched. Um, <clears throat> the fact that we have these podcasts kind of puts me in that position to think about it more. And through that, I feel like those two extra shots that are still in the bottle, I was able to, uh, to pour myself. So in total for, uh, Four full shots of JD. Wow. <laughs> four, another four, another four. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Oh, man. For me, oh, man. Hmm. This was definitely, like I said, I only remember the last probably 45 minutes of this movie. That's what I really remember. And that's mm-hmm. probably all you really need to know about this movie is the last bit of the movie. But, uh, man, I felt like it was very long lead up to what you wanted to get to. And I get a lot of it is building the suspense, building the tension, waiting for him to snap. But it 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 was long. It yeah, was long. It was it, very was, long. it was like it was like the first thirty minutes of this movie was just setting up before they're even at the hotel. And I'm just like, Good lord, let's get going. Let's yeah. get going, you know. So for me out of five, 
You know, I'm probably going to get bashed for this, but I'm probably giving this like three. And my three drinks are going to be like when you go to Vegas and you get those really, really long, uh, what are those, Laura, the big long drinks you get with the long straws in them? Like a, oh, yeah, like, like a, one of those, because this yeah. movie's fucking long. It's a long <laughs> fucking movie, you know? So you're fucking, you're sipping on those three drinks for fucking five fucking hours, you know? <laughs> but I did want to say that I looked up because I'm looking up research for this, there is a shorter version. The The European UK version is only 114 minutes. What? And so letting you guys know, I bought it. And it's being shipped to me probably in a week or so. And so I'm going to watch it and I'm going to report back as a you know previous episode and let you know Damn. if I like this movie better, shorter. Because what I, what I researched and they said was this originally the 114 minute was released first in, in the UK. And then I guess they had bad reviews. So they pulled it back and they added the other 40 minutes to this movie. And that became the new cut. But to me, and I even went over all the stuff they cut, all the stuff they cut is the stuff where I'm like, it doesn't need to be here. So I'm going to all report back after I get this movie and watch it and see if it mm. changes my opinion. If it's, if it's shorter, because to me, this is, there's so much buildup in this yeah. movie that it does have a great payoff and it's worth the wait. But if you can cut 20 minutes out of that buildup, then I think I'd be yeah. really, really happy. I'm, I'm about to blow your guys' mind. There was an additional 30 minute ending on top of this. Oh cut. my goodness. So you're like, like you're like three hours into it. You're like three hours. Yeah. Into? Good there, Lord. He wasn't in the movie. Okay. Not the book in the movie. He wasn't supposed to just freeze. He then goes into the hospital and this is just what I read. So mm. I don't really remember what it said. And then he was like saying how none of this stuff even happened. And then everything was cleaned up and no one had any proof of anything. And then they cut that and they made it 30 minutes, Wow. you know, shorter and then just had him die. Wow! Because they like look back and they're like, "Nah, he should just die." I mean, that's how he, he died mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah. Can wow. you imagine if it was thirty minutes longer? Oh my god, I wouldn't even <laughs> fucking be alive right now. That's insane. <laughs> you would have froze in your sofa just watching. That's this. fucking crazy. Yeah, I know. All right, I know this is like the longest episode in our mm-hmm. fucking podcast. I love history, it though. I, I freaking love mm-hmm. it though. This is. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I mean, mm-hmm. we love it because we're in it, right? Mm-hmm. We love it. Yeah. But I, mm-hmm. I have to ask. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm gonna ask a question now. Oh, wow, I'm the okay. captain now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is, that what, is that what I sound like? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I, obviously, when you're listening back to this, I don't know what's going to be happening by the time this is released online. We're always mm-hmm. like weeks ahead when we record. But right mm-hmm. now, thick of all of this coronavirus, everyone's sheltering in place. Everyone's isolating we don't even know when that this end date is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, would you, would you go to the Overlook Hotel? Just you, your spouse. So we, we each have a spouse. Yeah. We each have one child. Mm-hmm. Would you go to this giant hotel for five months during coronavirus time? So like modern day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and shelter in place there knowing it's not haunted, but without all the booze. What about the food supply? <laughs> Is the food so supply. so so everything is just the same. It's just there's it's not haunted, right? But you're there for you sign a contract. Like I don't know how long it's going to go on for, but I'm going to be here for five months. Just me, my spouse, and my kid. Mm-hmm. Do we have Wi-Fi? Giant... Yeah, do we have Wi-Fi? Do we still get to do our podcast? 
You have Wi-Fi, but there's also a snowstorm still happening, so oh. you literally can't get out most of the time. You're indoors, and maybe your Wi-Fi's spotty. I mean, fuck, it rained here today, and I got kicked off of this mm-hmm. podcast That's three true. times already. It's mm-hmm. very enticing because you have all the food you need. You have all the Free food. Mm-hmm. You have all the space you need, but oh my God, it's so secluded. And I, honestly, like I've always had a – I've always been creeped out by – just large old hotels. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'll take I, I, de- I definitely would go because I definitely have a screenplay I want to write. So I'm good to go. Give me five months. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's honestly, it's the boot. I know this makes me sound like a raging alcoholic and I probably have already sounded like this on the podcast since I always have my multiple drinks, mm-hmm. but I cannot imagine dealing with what, you know, everyone is dealing with right now. And I know this is very unhealthy and being Mm. isolated for almost half a year and looking at the same two people day in, day out and continuing to work and not have a drop of alcohol. (laughs) I don't know. I just said to me, to me, that was like the no, because if that weren't an issue, I'm telling you guys, I would fucking go. I think being in a huge hotel to myself would be legit. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you have the added benefit of having all that food. They even make that point at one point um, in the movie. You don't even have to have the same menu twice for five months. They have that much food. Yeah, but every corner, every corridor you walk down, you turn the corridor, you're not going to think, oh my God, I'm going to see two twin creepy apparitions. Mm-hmm. 20 feet away yeah i mean i think my imagination would probably get the better of me but yeah. i'm also saying going into this question you know it's not haunted there have never mm-hmm. been any well I, I know my house is haunted but like you know once every 20 or 30 days i wake up randomly and think <laughs> shit i'm gonna you know see the ghost of in a native american that used to live here 100 years ago or something <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I probably, if I were there, I probably would like shut down half the hotel and just like, I don't know. I'd actually probably make my living quarters smaller. Like I'm just not even going to bother with that half. I think there's (laughs) something about, about knowing that even if you wanted to leave, you couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. Like being mm -hmm. snowed in. Yeah. Where would you go? You can't, you're snowed in. That's so, ah, that's creepy to Mm -hmm. me. I wouldn't do it. Dude, that actually, there's the claustrophobia. Yeah. Wow. I feel like, Laura, you'd master a way to make moonshine. You'd be fine. Maybe. <laughs> you got potatoes there, probably. You'd be good to go. Yeah. You know? And if I have Wi-Fi, I can Google it. Like, how do you make alcohol from yeah, yeah. canned tomatoes? I know. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, needless, I mean, obviously, this is a given, but we are all very lucky. This is really tough times right now. And yeah. I mean... At least speaking for myself, I know I have it better than the majority of people out there. So I hate to even complain. This is obviously all in fun and, you know, adding humor here where it's a serious thing. So humor is kind of what we got to get through it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're definitely still doing this pod right now, even through everything. It's just trying to give anybody that's listening some little bit of, you know, relief from everything going on in the world. If you can just sit back and laugh and either, you know, laugh at us, laugh at the movie, just enjoy (laughs) it. And we get to help you for with an hour and a half of your time. Then, then, you know, I'm happy to do that. That's, that's perfect for me. Yeah. You're here. So so Cheers. There we go. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect toast. Perfect toast. It's good toast. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah. good, good toast. Good toast. Good, good toast. Good cheers. Yeah. Uh, 
That's a callback there. That's a callback. Yeah. 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 So that's that's it for this week's episode. Uh, Next week is going to be Greg's pick. So, Greg, what are we going to be conjecturing next week? What movie are you picking? Conjecturing 2019's Crawl. 2019's Crawl. That's like about a a big alligator. Wait, Greg, you haven't seen it, right? I have not seen this movie, but I have been given great recommendations for this. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those movies where I'm going in blind just as much as you guys. You know what? This is the first one that none of us have seen. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, you're right about so that. So this is exciting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Was the person that gave you the recommendation Tony? Was it Tony? Oh, no, just your... random people just around me that I've heard I've heard it from multiple people. So Tony, mm-hmm. the cricket in the corner, you know, communicated mm-hmm. that to me. Do you hear him? Oh, I've heard him the entire oh, my, time. I, I wonder if listeners are like, oh, my God, I'm so – I bet people tuned out like an hour ago because they're like, I can't stand this fucking cricket anymore. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, he's so bold. Like before we started the pod, I would walk over there every ten minutes and kick stuff around, and he would shut up. And I thought, oh, he learned his lesson. I feel like five minutes after that, they go back right to chirping. They're resilient creatures. It's crazy. They don't care. Greg. They don't care. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Sorry, so, crawl. 2019. Next week. Mm-hmm. 2019's yeah. crawl. Yeah. Hey. It won't, it won't, it's not about a cricket, so don't worry about that. Yet. No, they jump. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The cricket prophecies. Oh, there we go. I love it. The cricket prophecies. There we go. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, so this, this is, let's end it there. So this has been the conjecture and I've been Rob. And Laura. And Greg. Yeah. Until next time, remember horror subjective. So conjecture away. See ya. Cheers. Bye.
Bad rock, bad rock, bad rock. <laughs>